And here we go. Welcome back to Snakes, Rats, and Goats, talking about Survivor, Winners at War, Episode 12. I'm your co-host, Ryan Elder, and with me, as always, is... Scott Chernoff. Scott, your delay, I'm assuming, is like a subtle dig at me (laughs) for missing yesterday's record. I owe a public apology to you and our guest. It was a grimy-ass move, and uh, I'm glad we're (laughs) recording today. Um, I wasn't but, planning to call you out on it, but uh, you well, listen, out. I'm nothing if not contrite. So um, why don't we bring our guest in right away? My pause was like a Ben Driebergen pause. Uh, I see. I see. <laughs> Let me decide if I'm going <laughs> to do something grimy ass or not. Yeah. Yes, we do have a guest. He has seen Survivor. In fact, many he times. is a very well-known and talented journalist on the survivor beat for parade.com and also he is the co-host of the reality bnb on the rhap podcast network empire um he's also podcasts about lost he does all kinds of stuff for the post show recaps i he's even uh i believe a thespian and i'm gonna ask him about all of all of his uh entertainment uh prowess Yes, I use the word prowess. Hey, look, that's... Hey, why not? It shows that you respect our audience. (laughs) For the first time. (laughs) Mike Bloom is here. Mike. Yes, Mike. Hello. Or should I I be whispering? Is this how we do Survivor now? (laughs) Is this like the volume we're comfortable with? It's like Survivor terms ASMR in this previous season. Oh, my gosh. What I want to talk about that for sure. (laughs) I have a lot to say. Uh, but before we do that, let's, uh, get you in, let's talk, let's figure this out. And then we'll start talking about the episode. How about that? Mike, uh, welcome. Sorry again for Ryan's complete and utter failure yesterday (laughs) to show up for our podcast. It it was a different month. There was a different Ryan in April. Now we're in May. It's May 1st of the time we're recording this. Ryan is promptly a new Ryan, but yeah, I mean, he did, uh, not, intentionally but he did sort of give us the denise hand up to the face of (laughs) yeah oh my god i'm glad you guys are able to laugh about it because i was mortified said oh we're done we're ready we're ready (laughs) (laughs) yeah for somebody ready he wasn't there i'm just glad you're alive so that i can torment you more Great. You know, I think it's fine if we develop a uh, if we develop here for the last three episodes, kind of a an unsettling, uh, you know, feeling between us. I think that that's good for the podcast. Yeah, we're like the cops are us of podcasting. You don't know. We're very strong together, but it could fall apart at any moment. moment, (laughs) I know. I had the same thought. Yeah. Yeah. You guys actually just missed about 15 minutes of Scott just screaming at Ryan talking about how <laughs> you ruined my life. What the hell were you thinking? Yeah. He said you he's just, only, you uh, just oh. screwed my podcast game for the last three weeks of the season. And you'll only forgive me, by the way, as long as you're not voted out. If I'm not voted out of this podcast, then we're golden. But if I am, I will never speak to you again. Unbelievable. What what the heck was that? That was at the beginning. Let's start with that. Was that like, I mean, was that was that good gameplay for her to say that? I, I'm still like. I think it's beyond gameplay. I mean, oh, yeah. I think yeah. it, it's a friendship thing. What do you think, Mike? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I first off, I love the editing moment of Sarah being like, "Okay, I know this is a problem, so I have to just yeah. approach this very calmly and emotionally." Cut to her screaming at Tony. Yeah, yeah. While they're having and then they like, bar. and then they edit it so it looks like everybody at camp can hear them still. Like they right. just like <laughs> they duck down the volume of the fight a little bit, like it's far away now, and they just show people reacting. It was pretty funny. Well, but I think it's interesting because if you look at Sarah's survivor career, I feel like outside of the one time. Time she was, you know, voted out in Kagayan, she really has never been blindsided before. Like Game Changer, yeah. she was the one doing the blindsiding. It was her that was in this position, much like Tony did in Kagayan, of constantly flipping between alliances. So she always knew who was going home pretty much at all times. So this is like a rare side we get to see of Sarah, and evidently to that extent, and she's talked about how like physically and emotionally exhausted she is there was a secret scene last week that talked about how perhaps the meta aspect of the game is weighing on her a little bit so i really do feel like everything's just bubbling to the surface for her in this moment but i completely agree this was not strategic whatsoever this was just her fried and i honestly like i can't condone what she did but i also can't like lay so much blame at her feet considering what depletion she's probably going through at this point count on top of like the rampant paranoia that this season in particular brings well but also i mean these are friends i mean when they first played together it was what six years ago and Mm -hmm. that was one thing but since then they seem to have developed a real friendship so this it seemed like she just felt stung on that level yeah you know yeah it, it It is interesting to me. I mean, I think from a strategic point of view, I don't think it's that bad that she she handled Tony in that particular way. I think other people might have been like, Sarah, Sarah's trying to tell me what to do. Fuck that. But Tony knows he needs Sarah, first of all. Right. And Tony knows like this is Tony's M.O., piss someone off, do something behind their back, go back, apologize, expect them to forgive him and move forward in the game together. Right. Like that's how he plays the game. And so I think for her to for her to approach it that way with specifically just Tony isn't really going to probably going to hurt her game that much. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And like you said, he almost like expects it. Like basically the Tony MO is anytime you make these big moves, you then have to like spend half the time doing damage control and it's able to work. I mean, I guess outside of that vote, I could very much see Sarah becoming the woo to Tony's Tony, I suppose, and that I think any big swings that Tony's going to make from now on, he's going to do with Sarah, because now Mm. in getting rid of both Sophie and Kim, who seem to have like some pretty good relationships with Sarah, like if they get rid of Ben, Sarah has nobody else at this moment. And maybe that's Tony's plan with these votes as well as to really get his closest ally in a position where she can only look to him. Yeah, I mean, based on what we're being shown, I absolutely agree with you. I do think that it's possible Sarah's relationships are much tighter amongst the other people than we're being shown. You know, her situation where at the tribal in this, where she was like, I'm getting nervous. I think they're voting me. And of course they were not. Like nobody's talking about voting Sarah. The only person talking about voting out Sarah is Sarah. And that's that's crazy as well. Like it's pretty ridiculous to think in retrospect that they're like, okay, Tony won immunity. Let's go for, let's go for Jeremy. Like, no, you said you wanted to split up (laughs) Tony and Sarah. Sarah's right there. Just go for Sarah. I mean, that does speak to to Sarah's social game. I think, yeah, I think it's incredible. You know, there was that secret scene last week with Sarah and Kim and their bonding, but like it clearly Kim didn't 
do that because I think she thought, well, I, I need Sarah. I can work with Sarah. Yeah, I thought I think Kim and Sarah were tighter than we were really shown, mm-hmm. which leads me to believe that it's possible Sarah is tighter with a lot of people that were not being shown. And, you know, we have to one has to wonder why that is. But Sarah's game is so impressive this season. You know, it's just up there with her game changers game in terms of her ability to navigate and to play an incredible social game while also playing a really, really good strategic game. Yeah, but this is what's so fascinating about this season. It really is coming down to this Tony, Sarah, um, you know, dichotomy. Yep. Like whose play style? I talked about this last week, um, you know, when Sarah was boasting about her social game. But then we saw Tony also has, you know, a lot of sway with people. And who's going to win out? It, it, it's yeah. for, for a long time. I was thinking Sarah's going to cut Tony, and that still could happen. But it's starting to feel more like these two are going to be sitting right at the end together, which I think would be mm. fantastic. That'd be amazing. I mean, that would be a circle arc for these two. That would be amazing. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would wager it might go so far as like they make up two of the final four together. Because I could see a situation where, yes, Sarah would cut Tony, but I could also see a situation where like Tony wins immunity because that's apparently what's been happening now in this season. And he just says, like, I don't want to bring Sarah because I know that if I sit next to Sarah, people are going to not be able to separate my moves from Sarah's moves. And so sends her to fire and then she gets eliminated. You know, like I do wonder if Tony true to his Tony nature has a bit of a change of heart at the last minute and realize like, great. Sarah has helped me so much so far. It's still ridiculous to me that they are the tightest pair in the game and they have survived (laughs) up until thinking up two of the final seven right now with an idol in their pocket. But I could also see a situation where Tony really sees the end and looks at Sarah and says, this would be fun to have two cops in the final three. But at the same time, having her sitting next to me is going to demonstrably, uh, you know, reduce my chances of getting votes. And I think vice versa as well. Like there's just no, I just don't think that Sarah and both Sarah and Tony are way too smart to take either one of them to the end with them. It's just, when there are so much easier goats out there, like if you look at Nick and Ben uh, and even Michelle, who's been, you know, left out of every vote so far, this this episode, she voted for her number one ally. Yeah, and somebody it, explain to me what's going on with Michelle. I mean, I, in some ways, I guess it was a sly game plan. I'm going to stick with what I believe to be the majority, but give my ally, you know, a chance to escape. But it's kind of yeah. weird. I mean, it, it was an interesting move to have her. I mean, there's, there's first, there's two sort of ideas here. There's the one of giving the coin to Jeremy, which we can certainly talk about. And then there's the other one of just voting him out, which with that one, it sort of reminds me of uh, what like Kim did last week of like, hey, I was working with Jeremy the week before, but it's a sinking ship and I'm going to bail mm-hmm. right now. And so I could see mm-hmm. Michelle very easily doing the same thing. Ironically enough, I think had Tony come to her and said, hey, vote out Kim, she would have definitely jumped on board that plan. Uh, it just so happens that because Tony had this narrative in his head of, okay, it's going to be the three girls and Nick, which proved to be accurate. That's why Tony left her out of the plans. Yeah. I, I think Michelle is one of those people who prefers to always vote in the majority, no matter what. The problem is this season, she's not being clued in as to what the actual majority is. She just seems to be out of the loop in every single episode. And it's, it's quite funny because she's been turning on her allies to be in the majority and then 
not even <laughs> being in the majority. Yeah. How long can she use this 50-50 coin? Uh, I believe know? it's up. I think it's up until the final seven. So I think it's it's going to expire next Tribal Council. So are we assuming, I mean, Jeremy will probably give it back to her, right? I mean, it depends. Uh, if Jeremy's on the chopping block again next episode, which, I mean, listen, it's, it's gonna, if the sky is blue, Jeremy's getting targeted in Survivor Winners at War, so I'm assuming it's going to happen, then he might as well just hang on to it and actually flip it this time. I'm trying to figure out if it was a good or a bad thing for not necessarily him not to play it, but him to pull it out, moan mm-hmm. to the wind for what seemed like a full <laughs> minute, and then put it away, you know? That was a primal scream. I loved it. <laughs> well... There might be something to it, and if people know, oh, he's got something, mm-hmm. you know, now yeah, we I can't mean, vote for him. I think every single advantage is now fully known, right? I don't, maybe I don't not believe, Ben's idol. Yeah, I believe only Sarah and Tony know about Ben's idol. Maybe Nick, because yeah. he was brought in on the vote. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Ben, knowing how Ben handles idols, brings out his idol. You know, considering that they only have mm-hmm. a, a few votes left to use it. But yeah, otherwise. But I think the thing about, I mean, they know that Jeremy has an advantage, but I believe Jeremy only told, only found out from Michelle and only told Tony that like, okay, this is, this might not be an idol. You know, there's a 50% chance that it's not right. an idol. So uh, nobody because, knows that. Right. But if Tony starts flapping his gums, then there's yeah. a bigger likelihood that people would go after him being like, well, there's still a 50% chance that it's you know, there's a there's a chance that he's not going to use it, and then there's a fifty percent chance if he does use it that he's going to be unsafe anyway. I guess it depends what Tony thinks is better for Tony if he's going to tell people about Jeremy's the specifics of the advantage or not. I, I mean, we're going to see it flipped in the next episode. We have to. Yeah, right. There's no reason. Four tokens yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. We're we're not we're not going to have like a dean from last season. Like, I'm not going to use my advantages and then try to present them like a museum in the final <laughs> tribal council to show how good yeah, I was at getting advantages. Look at my survivor memorabilia collection. <laughs> These are all my souvenirs. That makes me a super fan, right? Well, I uh, mean, but I would think that just with the relationship between Jeremy and Michelle, I can't imagine he's going to actively not give it back to her so if she wants it back she'll get it back. i think he'll give it back if she wants it back but i did think it was hilarious as soon as she told him about it and he was like oh and she was like so i could you know give that to you and he just starts going give it to me give it to me give it to me give it to me yeah (laughs) (laughs) like just just give it to me and it it's over. crazy. I always give Jeremy so much credit for being so calm. And I think that's one of the way, reasons he won his season. But man, he is like, you know, his back is up against the wall. He can't afford to be calm right now. Well, that's right? the thing. Like, and, I mean, that's yeah. the thing is that this is like, I mean, I've we've been seeing these characters in so many new interesting ways. And I'm sure when we talk about Kim and eulogize her a bit, I want to talk about that. But even someone like Jeremy, like he was targeted a couple times in San Juan del Sur. But he has never experienced being targeted for three rounds in a row so adamantly and then barely escaped by the skin of his teeth. So we're seeing Jeremy in a completely different way. And as a result, like, yeah, he's someone who is a little frantic. Uh, That being said, you know, obviously, when you're comparing yourself to people like Ben and Tony, he's calmer when it comes to being under pressure. But yeah, the, the adamancy with which he insisted the coin be handed over, I think, is 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 not something that we've typically seen from Jeremy. But given the stakes, it makes sense. He's not yeah. only been uh, targeted recently. I mean, he's been 
since the first vote, they've been voting against his allies. Like right. he has been on the outs in yeah, many since ways. Ver- week number one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he is only still in the game by the grace of uh, Tony, but also Tony's mm-hmm. only here because Sandra screwed herself over so badly. Yeah, and Denise we- took her out. It's a weird narrative. Tony would have been gone by back then. Yeah, it's a really weird narrative where Jeremy and where Jeremy is someone who like has had a lot of power pre-merge. Remember, like we were talking like uh, during that Ethan vote, how you know Ben, Denise, Jeremy, and Michelle took control, and then as soon as the merge hit, starting with Wendell, and arguably had he not won immunity, he could have been that merge boot, Jeremy, and he just yeah. like mm-hmm. has not been able to find his footing since, which is pretty crazy to think about. But maybe that since also he speaks- has enormous feet. That's true, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but maybe that also just speaks to the power of Tony that, you know, Michelle actually verbalized something really interesting in this episode, in my opinion, of like Tony's running around making us all look like fools. And it's like, yeah, I yeah. do wonder if they were considering like the external perspective, of, like, I can't believe we're all getting tricked by Tony, that he's the one single handedly making these flips happen and we're just completely out of the know. Well, yeah. and you see what the jury is seeing and what the jury is saying. I mean, yeah. is there anybody who could possibly be? I don't think Sarah at this point in the game could beat Tony. I know, ben is insistent that Jeremy is apparently the number one person to win this game, uh, which I guess he has the story at this point. Like if he's able to claw his way there, he could have a very easy story. Sure. But I feel sure. like on paper... I would not have thought like, wow, Jeremy is really the number one candidate considering, like you said, Tony and Sarah have been doing so, so much in the game so far when it comes to this particular season. Yeah, you know, Tony's Tony's big gameplay, especially the last two weeks, is such a byproduct of him being safe, right? Like winning immunity. Like the only reason he can play like a nutcase is because he's safe. I, I think if he had been... Uh, if he hadn't won immunity, I think we would have seen a lot less of Tony. Well, I think he even said that a few weeks ago, right? The first time he won immunity, it was like, oh, now that I have this necklace around me, I'm going to do more crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was like the bulletproof vest. The yeah. bulletproof vest, exactly. And that was the big uh, Tyson tribal council when they were calling the audibles. So, I mean, to your point, though, Scott, and I tweeted this out, like just how insane it must be as a jury member this season to just sit there and watch like every other tribal council, people are going to get up and start whispering. So you have no idea what's going on. The votes are going to be completely scattered. People are going to be pulling out things that you have no idea what they are, as we saw with Jeremy. (laughs) And, but you have to sort of go off of what you're perceiving. And as Boston Rob says, as tribal council ends, like Tony's a boss. And if that's the perception Mm -hmm. that he's coming across with, he's got a very, very strong case. Should he make that final three? I don't think he makes it. I mean, they'd be all be fools to take him to the final three in some way. Like the only way he's going to do it is if he like Ben Bergens his way to the end. Right. Like, yeah, or, but, or Mike, Mike, Mike Holloway. Well, that's the thing though, is that there's a very non-zero possibility that that happens. Like a, he has an idol B he, you know, has the skills to find another one and C he's won three immunity challenges in a row. So he definitely has the capabilities, especially against this current crop to keep winning yeah. them. So yeah, I could very easily see like over under, I could see Tony being uh, unsafe from either an idol or an immunity perspective for maybe one more round out of this entire season. Yeah. Right. I think, yeah. Cause at final six, he's going to for sure play his idol. Right. Um, and then final five the is final their only seven. shot. Right. Yeah. So, so he's got to win at least two more immunities to not be a target, right? Well, and then, also, yeah. if they're also, they would be fools to not 
given what they just watched right before they left for this game, they would be fools to not immediately vote out whoever comes back from Edge of Extinction. Yeah, right. I so forgot about that. that person is a new shield for Tony. I mean, yep. at that point. But yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I agree that like Jeremy, if he makes it to the end, he's still a big threat to win. But I don't know, between Tony and Jeremy, if they're sitting there next to each other, Jeremy might be the more likable, have have a great story, but it's going to be really hard to overcome the optics of mm-hmm. everything Tony's done and how Tony carried Jeremy there. Right. That's the, yeah. th- that's the thing as well is, you know, Tony can make this argument of like, I single-handedly was the one to keep Jeremy in this game time and time again. But the fun but and sometimes frustrating things about a jury and a final tribal council, depending on how you look at it, is that every decision you make is also a double-edged sword. Right. Then right. Jeremy could turn around and say, hey, it was part of my gameplay. I saw Tony was in charge, so I appealed to him to make sure he would keep me around. I used Tony. Tony didn't use me. Right. Does and that work, though? I mean, does the... I mean, look, I, I mean, look I at look at, look at none other than Sophie G. Clark as an example of that. Yeah, yeah, it did work for her. It worked for... Um, Worked for Natalie White. Of, uh, Survi- Australian Survivor Season 1. Mm-hmm. Amber. Uh, lots of good, good, lots of people make that case and win because of it. You're right. And I think that's generally people who are just liked personally. Which um, Jeremy is. Or if the jury is very bitter. Um, and yeah, I could see that happening. It's, uh, it's going to be tough to figure out like who who on the jury is bitter, who has a relationship with who, because I mean, we're prospectively yeah. looking at 16 jury members this season. Yeah, it's so big. You know, I, I, I think the more, the further we go along, the more I feel fairly confident that both Ben and Nick are in the final three. Mm. Um, well, I was and, about and, to say that's whoever's wins is going to be the person who sits next to Ben and Nick at the end. That's what it seems like. Uh, just We're just being shown so much how, you know, to, this episode was the first time we got anything from Nick that wasn't just embarrassing, right? Like where he had that moment where he's like, it's time for me to sort of figure out who I can take to the end, who I can beat and all of that. And he, he says, I can't beat Sarah. I can't beat Tony. I can't beat Jeremy. Right. Um, is that who he said? I'm yep. checking my those, notes Yeah, those here. were the three he specifically outlined. Like, yeah, yeah. Those are the only three people who is basically going to beat everybody. And yeah, I think, you know, in a in a more straightforward season, what Nick is doing is, to, and what Kim is doing, it's totally accurate of like, it's we saw that all the way back during the days of the road twos, remember? Of like, hey, why are we letting these people control the game? Let's get rid of all the big threats so that we can make it to the end. And yeah, so then that, I, that happens a lot. I mean, that happens most seasons of Survivor where you end up with sort of the three least offensive, like least great players at the end, right? Like uh, of the like post merge, you pick the three least quote unquote great players. That's probably likely two of those are going to be in the final three. Just And that's just a byproduct of the way the game works. People are savvy enough to know who's good, who's bad in the moment. Which is why when you, I don't know, throw in things to try to really embellish the last couple of rounds to try to make bigger people win, it always ends up backfiring and people eventually yep. end up adjusting <laughs> because it's in just the natural strategy of Survivor to get rid of people yes. that you don't want there at the end. Well, hear yeah. me out. We have a final four instead of a final three. And at final five and six, the final five is fire making and final six is just whoever 
is the most fit guy automatically goes forward. So they're going to do like uh, measure, I don't know, BMI, like have a, a nutritionist yeah. come in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause you can't do a challenge, right? Because sometimes that might favor a woman. So right. it has, if it's got to be the most fit guy, we just had the men compete. That's it. The women just get to. Can you, you imagine Jeff Probst being like, okay, uh, Denise, <laughs> Michelle, uh, take a seat on the bench over there. You cannot yeah. possibly win this challenge. So you're just going to sit out. And Denise is like, wait, I actually could win this challenge. <laughs> exactly. That's the irony of it all. Oh my God. Yeah. Scott, I like, I, I like this idea only because it's the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I really, there was a point where I was expecting, it was before they introduced fire where I thought they were going to start doing a final four. It does seem like that's like the next step, right? Like, but again, it's just then everybody will adjust like Mike was saying. That's ridiculous. I missed the final two. I I totally missed the final two. And now I'm obsessed with the way Sequester does final four. And I think every reality elimination game should be this way. Scott, you, I don't know. You're you're not, Mike has played Sequester, so he knows how it's done. Yeah, but I really digging in the knife since I never made it close to a final four situation, Ryan. (laughs) That's okay. But I'm assuming you did your research and you know how it works. Yeah. In any case, it's very simple at the final four, whoever's voted out picks one of the final three to go out with them. So in the final four, you argue, you, there's this whole mind game about, okay, who do I think is going to drag me out of the game if I vote them out and who isn't? And now I need to vote again. You know, I need to keep that person in. So it's this awesome mind game where everybody is lying to everybody trying to figure out how they can be safe. And it, it, it's a great way for someone, for a good player to sneak in hmm. um, to the final two. It's, it's really, really interesting. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with like the levels of strategy it takes to play that final four properly. I mean, the final three, when Survivor introduced it in Cook Islands, paid dividends for what they wanted right off the bat because yeah. we would not have seen both Yule and Ozzy in that final three. Right, but and then the fact, very next, I mean, the very next well, season, though, we immediately saw the repercussions when they said, okay, exactly. great, well, now I'm going to vote out Yao Man at final four, at four and go to the end with Dreams four, and Cassandra. Right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's classic, well, he would have voted classic, out right? Yao Man at three. Was was um uh, was Cook Islands a surprise final three, or yeah, did they know it, it going? So I mean, that's why it works, three, right? Which yeah, is well, why I still maintain, as big of a Yule fan as I am, that Ozzy got screwed and probably would have won that season. Yeah, it was a surprise. It and Fiji was a surprise final three because I don't believe by the time that was still when they were doing separate filming schedules instead of doing like one ride after the other. So Uh I believe that they went out to play Fiji before Cook Islands was over. And so they had no idea that the concept of a final three even existed. Uh, And I remember that was like a big moment as well because Dreams was going to stick to his deal of giving up the final four immunity until he realized that was the final immunity. And that was one of the many reasons he reneged on the deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus yeah, that the... sweet, sweet ride. <laughs> well, that was part of the deal. I mean, that was what he got out of the deal, well, right? Was it like a Pontiac Aztec or something? No, it was, it was, it was a, a truck, pickup man. truck. Did you, I think it was like a oh, GMC yeah. Yukon or something. It was okay. a badass truck All for right. sure. And well, the last truck that appeared on Survivor because of that. GMC is like, thanks. Thanks for the uh, advertising. We're yeah. 
They're sitting right. there with BG Airways going. What if we're villain got our truck? The only, yeah, the only car die? brand that's now looped in with like duplicity and going back <laughs> on friends deals. Do you, th- do you think? I feel like they should like. I know two million dollars like up the price, but I feel like they should throw a car in there, right? Like do do a little bit of a throwback here. I would love it. I would love it. Let's get. I mean, there's so many cool things the they should have done this season. As a surprise, they should. That would be fun they should have brought back the auction. They should have brought back the gross food challenge. I mean, this is season forty. Why aren't we doing all of the things that people uh, associate the show the with thing, the show? If they bring back the car challenge and really try to spook people about the car curse, I would love to see if people try to throw it or what happens. Yeah, yeah. But instead, we get a fire token curse. Well, the car. You think it was a fire token curse? Well, just Nick gave, Nick promised to give uh, Tony a fire token. I don't know. I'm just like, could, could the steering wheel of the car be a fire token? I think the the, <laughs> the car challenge reached its peak very early for me in season two when Colby and his mom had a camp out and, yeah. <laughs> and snuggled. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I think they car. should add a car to the fire token menu for mm. 10 fire tokens. You can buy a car. That's right? a steal. <laughs> that is a steal. You... I don't think it is because Scott and I have been talking about this. We can actually determine the monetary value of a fire token by taking the total number of fire tokens introduced into the system and dividing by two million, right? So you, I guarantee you, that's like a, that's at least a hundred thousand dollar car, right? Like, mm-hmm. I do think or... I could, I could imagine a situation where Tony like is begging people for fire tokens like he did last week, only to just buy a car with them and never pay them back. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, I really need a token. Uh, I'll tell you why later. And then you yeah. see Tony, and he's just like got a huge jar of peanut butter. Yeah, I'll I mean, you. in theory, he could have come up with this idea for the extortion advantage, and it wouldn't have existed whatsoever. Sort of like what Adam did with the idle hidden at Tribal Council, where the producers could be like, oh, huh, that's an interesting idea. We never came up with it before, but sure, Tony. Yeah, an extortion advantage, so you have to get fire tokens. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh man, can you imagine that? That would be so next level if someone just invented that whole cloth just to get fire tokens from people. Well, that's what um, one day it's coming one day. I remember David Wright in his uh, Edge of Extinction preseason press, like he was going to create an advantage called like the sole vote advantage or something, where like at a tribal council you can stand up and say, "I have the sole vote now, and I choose to vote out this person." And again, it would be completely null and void, but it would spook people enough to maybe vote a different way. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun. That's a fun fake. That's a great idea. Fake advantage. Well, here's my thought on these fire tokens. Interestingly, like Nick at the very beginning of the season. And it may come back to mean something was the one who said, you know, I think it's going to whoever manages these fire tokens is going to have all the power. I think they were just typing up the fire tokens, because what's yeah. interesting uh-huh. to me is the the most concrete examples of the fire tokens influencing the game are people who let it who are too greedy for them, holding on mm-hmm. to them, caring about them. Give me your fire tokens. I'll give. I'll give you the idol. Give me your fire tokens and, you know, to make up for, you know, this slight or to prove your trust or to get me to jump off this thing. Whereas like Nick did, whereas Tony doesn't seem to give a crap about the fire tokens. He's playing full tilt and he's just like, oh yeah, Nick wants a fire token for, for I'll take immunity for a fire token. That's a steal. I feel like the person who's not letting the fire tokens, affect their thinking is the one who's flourishing 
Well, he's only again, he's only flourishing because he has had immunity the last three weeks. Like, I do think like he's in trouble as soon as he doesn't win. But I also think that because the stuff in the game for the players that are currently like still with their torches lit is so unappetizing for people that are seeking out idols and advantages as opposed to the edge of extinction, like it's less appealing. You know, how many we saw this during the merge episode, right? When like it's a downpour and I think Tyus is like, Oh yeah, is anybody thinking about pulling their tokens together to get a tarp? And everyone says no. And so like mm-hmm. it, it's definitely why would you necessarily want fire tokens if you look right in front of you and you can buy like a bag of rice? Uh if the menu had instead said like, Oh, you can buy an idol, you can buy a fifty fifty coin, you can buy a vote steal, then I think someone like Tony has much, much more incentive to do it. Otherwise sure. it's more so just like pocket change you know like you're saying of like yeah "Yeah, i just happen to have these things and i can use them as literal literal social currency and look tony knows better than anyone that in on occasion they might be a a total liability right right (laughs) like i want to talk about actually tony and nick uh you know nick promising nick asking tony hey give me one of these and i'll come off and then tony you know vice versa right i think the better way strategically to handle that is when you're both up there down to the final two men you go hey look whoever loses this the winner gives the other person a a fire token let's just chop the fire tokens no matter what happens right why is then it's just better because it bonds you instead of creating a debt or a or a um a favor to the other person or whatever right uh, it, it gets the same result, but uh, but it 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 just like makes you more of a team instead of uh, like uh, now you owe me a fire token. My pockets are getting a little light, Tony. Well, but it's not exactly the same result because the way you just presented it, it's like hey, whichever one of us wins will give the other token. Words. What happened in the episode was Nick saying, "I will let you win if you give me a token." But it's the same thing. So say it is still the same thing. In fact, it's even better. It's even more of a reason for Nick to go right as he's about to fall off. Hey, just a reminder, we have this deal, right? Uh, Because it seemed like he was making the deal because he was knew he was going to fall off. Yeah. Yeah. And and there was peanut butter, right? And there was peanut butter, right? So he was incentivized even there, too. So I, I, I think like if you just make that deal right away, as soon as you're the last two men or the last two women, I think it's just so much better strategically for the rest of the game to bond you to that person just on a emotional and uh and just you know you're about to step down yeah well no i mean but if you agree to it right away then you benefit from the other person almost ready to step down like it's just it's just it's just better for both of them to do it. it's like a prisoner's dilemma right they Mm -hmm. both benefit from having that deal um instead of only one you know instead of only one of them benefiting because as it was, you know, Nick is the one who, quote unquote, benefited from the deal, the deal existing at all. Right. If the deal doesn't exist, Nick doesn't get a token this way. Like they both just go, OK, we know now we both benefit from this deal no matter what happens. Yeah, it's, a, it's an I, interesting yeah. idea. That's the most you're getting out of Mike. <laughs> interesting. No, I'm, I'm trying to think it through because. I mean, I, I feel like we don't have a lot of deals going on in uh, endurance challenges as much as we do in a show like Big Brother, 
which feels like mm-hmm. it is just commonplace, right? To be like, mm-hmm. okay, just so you know, like, or there's three of us here. All three of you are safe. I don't know if it's because they're exhausted. I don't know if it's like the sanctity <laughs> of the game, but I feel like we very, very rarely get this going on. But I do, I do agree with Ryan that I think there is a subtle difference between being like, hey, if you jump off, I'll give you a token versus, hey, whatever happens, let's agree to share the bounty as it were. Because that one sounds much more, I'm going to say collaborative because again, it's an individual Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. That's absolutely the word I'm looking for. Yeah. It turns it into like a team challenge essentially at that point. A little bit. I mean, the winner still is safe from the vote, obviously, but it's something that uh, I think would happen a lot more if they were legally, or not legally, but if they were contractually allowed to chop the million at the end also, I think you would see tons of chopping, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, um, that was, uh, and- Samon Del Sor apparently was notable for that, that like the majority alliance at one point was sketching out their like great, the best possible final three so that they could all split the money in a certain perspective. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they got away with that other than, of course, they know, you know, Missy and Baylor are, are definitely <laughs> splitting the money. You know, obviously uh, the married couples are, of course, by legal definition, splitting the money. So, uh, you know, I think that is the case. But I always wondered, like, did uh, Mike Boogie and Will, Dr. Will, have a a chop deal, a preseason chop deal that they weren't allowed to talk about? You know, like, that's so common in poker, in any game where there's a monetary prize for first place and less monetary prize for second. Chopping is super, super common. Um, And... And in fact, it's just like a way to make you feel better in a situation where there's going to be a winner and a hardcore loser where you go, okay, how about we just agree right now? The winner gives the loser a little something, especially if they get nothing for when they lose. You know, in this case, though, just this specific case, I just don't think Tony cares about the tokens. He was like, I I definitely agree. Step off. That's the final thing. Great. Toss him a token. If I need more, I'll just ask people for more. <laughs> That's a fair point. I think you're right. I mean, yeah. because Tony got burned by having the most. Right, exactly. He's trying to, to like foist that upon somebody else. I also wonder, like, I'm assuming Tyson was tight-lipped about Edge of Extinction to a lot of people. So do they assume, like Wendell sort of vocalized this early in the season, like, like, right, like at a certain point, we assume that the fire tokens are maybe they'll turn into idols, maybe they'll turn into something. Do you think somebody like Nick still has that assumption at all? And that's why he's so like adamant about grabbing the tokens as opposed to someone like Tony who saw firsthand that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, narratively that would fit with what Scott was mentioning earlier, how Nick got the big soundbite about fire tokens in the first episode. So I could absolutely see that if Nick is the one who benefits from the fire tokens turning into an idol or something. I was uh, surprised that Tony didn't go after Nick in this episode the way their Nick- relationship is much tighter than we are led to believe. But really? yes, that he was like, I trust, I trust Nick hundred percent. And then clearly Nick, and he knew Nick was lying to him. He knew Nick was lying to him. Yeah. I loved that moment. Well, right? Oh, I'm trying to remember. Nick yeah. was like, <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to remember. Like, yeah, that, that was totally, that was like very reminiscent of uh, Ben in front of Boston Rob in episode one, right? Like sometimes yes, you just yeah. caught, you get caught in a brain fart and you can't lie in that moment. And so, yeah, I mean, this has been an entire episode between Nick and Ben of like people attempting to lie to Tony and just it's it, it gets misplayed. And again, not to like besmirch these two players because 
you have to win by being dishonest in Survivor, no matter what level it is. But it's just for some reason, these particular situations in this episode, they really get caught flat footed. Uh, and I do love like, yeah. it goes right from Tony telling Ben, like, no, Nick's good. I got him. You know, it's 100 percent with the and then cut to like later after the immunity challenge and be like, no, uh, Nick sold us out. He's he's done. We can't rely on yeah. him anymore. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. That was that moment was so amazing to me. Like, I love it when anyone tries to lie and fails miserably. And it's so funny. It happened twice to Tony in this episode. Tony cannot be feeling good about his position. His two of his like three biggest allies, according to him, like tried to lie to him and he caught them. To be fair, though, I'm I'm going to give a little bit of guff to Tony with the with the Ben thing, because Tony's like, I can't believe you would hide the idol in front of me. And Ben's like, uh, last tribal last night, you yeah. literally just like did not tell me about the vote. And Tony's like, Yeah, but that was, well, last, that was- but that was <laughs> last night. I thought we were good. Like that Tony's was so definitely- great. He goes, Yeah, but that was then. No, no, no. I thought we're not it's over. Water under the bridge. Yeah, his voice went up about ten See, octaves. That's the thing about Tony is like you. I love him in all of his ways, but he's a little hypocritical sometimes when it comes to this idea, right? Of like, I can blindside and betray people by lying to their faces. But when you do it, like, look out. But uh, but on the other hand, that's a good, that's a strong way to play. And that was like a what, what, Rob, what won him, Rob, yeah. Rob style too. Is like if you see something happening, you may as well maximize. Like we know, like anybody would try to hide the idol as a, just in, your instinct as soon as you find it. And Tony knows that too. But as long as he caught him, he may as well stress like, hey, that makes me not trust you. I don't know if I can trust you now. Because it puts Ben in the position of, well, now I have to extra prove that I can trust him. <laughs> now I have to and get how will on I my do that? knees and I will, carry you like a newlywed. I will, <laughs> exactly. I will scoop you up in my arms lovingly. That was oh, that my was favorite so moment good. of the whole show. Oh, yeah. And Tony's <laughs> like, what? Well, you might, no, you no, might no, spray no. your... <laughs> Don't do this. No, 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 no. Don't do it. And I also love this idea of like, I do. I think these people just don't care at a certain point, like how blatant they're coming across. Like, I think inconspicuousness is out the window here between the spy nest, between Ben just flat out sprinting through the jungle. We saw last week Tony hurtling through the jungle and sliding in the mm-hmm. sand to unwrap what he thought what the advantage was. Like, as much as people are like, I'm being really quiet and stealthy and nobody knows what I'm up to. I think they might have just either gone insane or so bored at this point that they're just going to run circles around the island when they're excited about something yeah so speaking of let's talk about the spy nest a little bit of a disappointment and from my opinion but uh well, hopefully it was... we see it again hopefully right well, that's the thing because remember it, the spot because the spy shack was like all the way back in the premiere and it didn't come around in kagayan until like the mid merge so i mean we only have there a couple go. episodes left but yeah, I mean, I guess it was too good to be true when we saw it in the the next time on, right? Because I very yeah. rarely feel like those side scenes that are highlighted are like the main focus of the episode. Yeah. Right. I think, I mean, it's equally possible that it comes back and it, or that it is just, you know, they know that we'll love seeing Tony make a spy nest. So, yeah, listen, listen, they have to include that in the show, right? There's no way they're not if I including found that. out that it had happened and they didn't. I would have been outraged. Yeah. Exactly. Now you mentioned next week. I want to just pause for a minute, like because uh, Mike, you are a, a bona fide survivor journalist. Do you know as next week is a two hour episode? Is yes. this a one two hour episode or is it two hour episodes combined? So this you know. is 
so this is like the premiere. It is counted as one single episode, but there are two hours within it. It's a little different than sometimes what they do of like, for example, like what they did with the merge episode last season of like, yeah, we'll just put two episodes back to back on one night. This was, right. I don't know exactly what the scheduling was. I think they probably initially intended for it to be an hour, but I think with the slowly, uh, you know, growing scarcity of new network television, CBS allowed them yeah. to go the full <laughs> two hours which is good because i mean otherwise this would turn into like the episode of game changers where andrea and michaela went home and there's so much so quickly that you can't fit it into 42 minutes now we're going mm -hmm. to have two boots baked into it so yeah this ep this this uh this season is going to still have 14 episodes in it like it always does as of late but there's going to be more content because of the two-hour premiere and now this two-hour penultimate episode so this Love will it. be two tribal councils so we'll We'll start at seven. We'll be down to five. Just in time we'll for someone up, to come back from Edge of Extinction and, we'll and then have... And can then... they just come back at seven? Why, can they just start the next episode with someone coming back? Why does it have to be at five? They, I think they, they really it. like this idea of like starting off the finale with it, you know? And that so also means like... like... Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, they, I, you can imagine that, like, if, if Edge of Extinction was brought in for this reason of, like, we want, you know, people to cap, keep the rooting interests active in the game. Theoretically, there are still 19 people actively in the game going into the finale. So if people are like, if you think it's, you know, eliminated, I'm, I'm you know, t ducking out of this season. Well, they don't have a reason to until the finale when he formally ends up becoming a jury member. Right. right. Now, um, okay, so we got... We got that. And Mike, I just want to know another couple questions for you as a journalist. Of course, I love as a, a, as a member in the middle of, the, of a podcast. <laughs> a member of the fourth estate. Well, no, I want to like, Mike, for our, if our listeners don't know, has been doing great work for Parade.com. Every you. Every week you've been doing something that I really enjoy. There's no exit interviews this season because of Edge of Extinction. Uh, but you have been interviewing somebody from the eliminated each week whoever's eliminated you interview somebody from their usually original season i think um to talk about their gameplay this season last week mm -hmm. for instance there was albert talking about sophie in south pacific and it was a great interview i was actually very yeah. pleasantly surprised by how insightful and perceptive albert was it was very counter to his betrayal on the show <laughs> where I thought he was just a bump on a log the whole time. Um, what, is there any preview? Who, who will you be talking to about Kim? Have you already done it? Can you tell us? Yeah. So I'm in the process of reaching out to uh, Jonas Atsuji, the, uh, the sushi chef who was the merge yeah. Yeah. in one world, but he was a pretty she big character. And I think, you know, yeah, he was unfortunately my... one of the first victims of Kim's big Alliance. Love Shout out Jonas. to Jonas. He listens to this podcast yeah. on occasion. My so. Twitter friend. Love Jonas. But yeah, that's uh, thank you for pointing that out, Scott. It's been a really cool opportunity. I mean, it's sort of like, admittedly, it's it's been making lemonade a bit because, you know, as, as someone who not only does Survivor Exit Press, but absolutely loves to do it, the opportunity to talk with these contestants and sort of have them get out their own story when we're only seeing one version of a story every week especially with such a big season and such an incredible cast, it sucks to not have that outlet. But yeah. I also wanted it to sort of be a way to acknowledge Survivor at 20 years. And so it's sort of a, a nice way to have people sound off on people that they know. I sort of call it like an exit interview of an exit interview 
of you know how people would react to the way they see other people playing but also a nice way to sort of remember back to you know the days gone by like back when amber was booted i had lex uh from all the way back you know in those first seasons right, talking about it i had yeah. i had judd talking Love about life. danny uh, like i i was able to i'm very lucky in the people i was i've been able to dote upon so far and get their opinions about survivor as well because this is a season that no matter how you feel should be a celebration of what this incredible show has been able to do over two decades and so i, I thought it was a good way to acknowledge that as well and like you said you know there are some interviews like the one with albert last week that provides a lot of really really interesting insights and i'm happy he did it as well because you know i'm sure you've talked about this too that sophie i think has a very understated and underrated game and so i thought it was yeah. nice to have one of her closest allies throughout those 39 days really talk about it having experienced it with her yeah, it was great to read yeah, because it was great. Even that season, we didn't get. She was. We've talked about how she was surrounded by so many huge characters that we didn't get enough content directly about Sophie that season. And as a result, that's why she feels she's a bottom tier winner, and or is perceived that way, or at least was before this season when she's clearly a top tier winner. But I have loved these interviews you've been doing. I've read, I loved Judd, I loved Lex, I've read all of them. And so I, I definitely want to point our listeners to that if they haven't discovered those already you, on uh, parade.com. Yeah. And yeah, how do you, do you go about deciding who you're going to ask to do an interview? I mean, it's just a matter of looking at the cast from those people's winning seasons and looking at, you know, who is a uh, active enough and most likely watching Survivor that they would want to talk to me about it and B would have something interesting to say. Uh, either they work closely with them or they work primarily against them. Like, you know, having Jervis talk about Tyson, considering that he mm -hmm. was the, the coconut bandit. Or having right. someone like Kellen talk about Wendell because she ended up being one of his main opposition near the end of Ghost Island. And so it's been interesting to sort of waver between that as well, uh, you know, depending on how they sort of view the people that they either worked with or worked against. And other than that, it was just a matter of looking at those casts, looking at who made it far and, and who would probably be an interesting person to talk to. And I'm, I'm very lucky that it's turned out as well as it has so far. And speaking about, like, so just to correct it, it's probably not their original season. You're getting people from their winning seasons. Right, so yeah, sounds. so I didn't get someone from Token Sheens to talk about Tyson, for example. I got right. someone from Blood versus Water. I mean, it's only a, right. a few times when people have won on their repeat attempts, right? So it's almost always going to be right. someone from their original season. Yeah, well... Do you already yeah, have I mean, unfortunately, that means... Go, go ahead, Scott. Do you already have them in mind for each... For each of the remaining people, or is yep. it just kind yeah. of... Yeah, I, I, I did some asks preseason, and I'll check in with them yeah. once the person's voted out, because I don't want to necessarily, you know, ping them as right. soon as the person gets their torch snuffed in case to spoil them. But yeah, I have I was testing the waters preseason to see if they were interested in it, and I gotta, I've got i gotten... I, I think, fingers crossed, I have someone for each of the people that are left. So that's uh, that means well for whatever's to come in the next couple of weeks. That's awesome. Yeah. Mike, what's yeah. your Survivor story? When did you start watching and, and when did you get into Survivor? So and I how? got into it about uh, season one, episode six, around that. I go into, into this all on the Survivor Historians podcast, of which I'm a I'm, member, which is, sure. which is actually uh, right now where we, grow, we went back to review Borneo. So that has really harkened back to a lot of my own Survivor origins. But yeah, it was just a matter of like, this was be becoming a 
big amassing popular show in the summer of 2000. I was late to the party, but that was the only Survivor season that they re-ran later on in yeah. the fall. So I was able to catch the first five episodes that way. But yeah, I just sort of kept watching. You know, I hopped on just in time to watch the first ever Paganging, to watch, you know, uh, <laughs> the Snakes and Rats. And then I just kept on, you know, that was when Survivor premiered, I was 10 years old. And that was sort of my first it was my gateway into not only like realizing what shows and pop culture content I like, but also like how to access it, you know, and that's how I really discovered internet community was through survivor group. So obviously I owe a lot to the show, but that was really because it came at such a formative age for me and the internet, it served as a nice yeah. way for me to figure out like how I can find a community around a show that I really enjoy, even if it's just, you know, a bunch of people behind avatars. That's so wild that you've been watching yeah. the same show from 10 to 30. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. That is wild. Yeah. Like, Scott, what's the equivalent for us? Like, for me, it'd be like if I if Cheers was still on and I was <laughs> yeah. watching Cheers, you know? Yeah. Like, none of my shows I was watching when I was 10 are still on. I still <laughs> like Star Wars <laughs> is a thing that's still happening. Right, right. Movies. But that's not so, a weekly show. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean. I, I, I'm it's not wild. one to, I still watch, you know, I still watch reruns of Three's Company. So does that count? <laughs> Can't go an episode without Scott dropping a Three's Company. Of course, of course. No, that's it's, not true. But, uh, <laughs> I right, have a question for you, Mike, yeah. which ties into something we discussed earlier about the whispering at Tribal. Uh, my, my question is, do you get to do entrance press? Do you go out there at the beginning like uh, some other of the journalists yeah so i had the privilege of doing it for season 39 uh fingers crossed depending on how things work out hopefully i'll get the opportunity to do it again but yeah it just so happened that you know the the very last time uh that i went out there was for one of the more recent seasons and that includes for people that don't know uh you interview the contestants you talk with jeff and some members of production a bit about the theme you get to see you know the the first you basically get to see the first episode play out live so you get to visit camps okay. see how the people interact you get to see the run of the first challenge and you get to go to the first tribal council that yeah. must have been such an incredible experience for you Amazing. as a fan it, since i mean since 10 yeah. years old i mean it was it was everything and more and you know I, I have stuff coming out in the next month or so that'll definitely uh dote on those experiences it was just it was so wild to me i'm and first i will say look i think people can say a lot of things about island of the idols the season and, and what happened but i was so lucky that that particular cast was the first one that i got to interview because you know i was extremely nervous i would have been so nervous if my first season out would have been season 40 because yeah. I, 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 I felt some kinship with the 39ers being like this is my first time and this is your first time and this sure. and it was a really dynamic fun group to be able to to talk to preseason but like getting to run a challenge i mean we also had no idea what the twist was until jeff announced it on the day we interviewed him so like i had no idea when i was flying out there that i was going to be boated to an island to meet boston rob and sandra like that was ridiculous to me uh and it was a, wow. it was an interesting first episode as well like there was a big blind side that happened there was a lot of fun going on at camp so i really have no complaints yeah. about the experience that, that i got to have so far on set Incredible. And when, when you met Boston Robin Sandra, did you burst into tears like some of the contestants <laughs> did when they met them? 
no, I mean, I was just astounded, especially looking at those heads in person was like, yeah. I, I just was like laughing and just like ecstasy at this idea coming to fruition. Yeah. But actually meeting them was, I mean, I, when we walked up on them, they were working on their shelter and like hacking away. And it's, it is a bit like, you know, seeing, uh, seeing movie stars up close in a weird way, as much as we try to, yeah. I think, celebritize these people. And maybe that's a, a tough thing to do in the reality TV modern age. It, it was weird to be able to like sit down, talk with one of these people and have them talk back to you. It's, it's weird of to course. say, but it's just something you, I, it was something I've never thought I'd experience in my life. And it being sort of the culmination of my fandom up to this point. And then being able to then serve as that conduit to the community as well of like, let's get to know these people. Here's what it was like on set. It, it was a really cool turnaround considering how many years I'd spent checking out Dalton and Gordon and Josh's work where they'd done the same thing to be in that position. I count my lucky stars every single day that I got that opportunity and hopefully will get that opportunity uh, for survivor seasons to come. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I would think like as exciting as all of it was to me, one of the most, the coolest things is that you got to go to the camps and just kind of observe how long would you be there? We'd be there for about like 20 to 30 minutes uh, just to see. And it also depends on like the, the time of day, like usually because of just the Fijian heat, uh, castaways are more active in the morning because it's not as hot. Uh, we sort of came at in the afternoon when, because we actually spent the morning at Island of the Idols. So things were, they were a bit more lax. We went to Vokai, the purple tribe, and they were just sort of like chilling out, you know, looking for sticks to brush their teeth. Uh, Lyro, the Orange Tribe, they were just all lazing around the shelter, but they were like all they were doing battle raps and they were cracking jokes. Uh, so like there was a, still a lot of enjoyment to be had. But yeah, we usually spend about like half an hour to maybe at most an hour. And that's the other thing as well that I really gleaned was just it really is an iceberg out there, meaning that what we see in front of our cameras is yeah. not only so little of like the edit, but just the amount of people involved to see all the camera crews at camp to see the setups that they have all these production people at challenges it's it's something you don't think of and to Mm -hmm. really get to see that firsthand to see the tribal council set and how how everything is built out and how stunning it looks it was just unbelievable i would say that like every fan should have the chance to experience going on to set and seeing what the survivor production experience is like because it gives you even more appreciation where Yes, you may quibble with the decisions that production makes, especially when it comes to game structure and editing structure, but the work and the amount of people that make this machine hum is incredible. And to see the work ethic and unity behind them as well is truly astounding to watch. Yeah, every yeah. time they've occasionally shown, you know, like like when Caleb uh, needed medical attention or something, and they, we've seen some of the the camera crews and everything. It's sort of mind blowing to see. I, I can relate because, you know, I, like I mentioned star Wars, which I was watching since I was five. And then I became as a young adult, a star Wars journalist. I always put journalist in quotes. Cause it's not like I was, you know, breaking uh, Watergate or something, but <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I but got blue I was, milk gate more like, yeah, exactly. And I was, you know, writing for and editing for official Star Wars publications and interviewing the yeah. But your, your journalist name was Shallow Throat, right? So oh, my what? Your journalism name was Shallow Throat, yes, right? So. It still is my, my name. 
Um, but it was, and I got in the su- that summer of 2000 when 10-year-old Mike Bloom was watching the first season of Survivor, I went out to, uh, Aust- to Sydney, Australia to the set of Star Wars Episode Two. Not my favorite Star Wars movie, but in a minute, <laughs> just like Island of the Idols might not be the best Star Wars, se- I mean, the best Survivor season, but it's an experience that I was so fortunate to have. And it was so mind-blowing to be like, yeah, I've been into Star Wars since I was a kid. And now here I am on the set of the new Star Wars movie, watching them film, sitting down with George Lucas and the actors and talking to them about it. It was insane and every star wars fan should have that and what do you, i'm glad well, that every survivor so. fan should have that because you know now uh, ryan and i and the listeners will tag along with you next time you go yeah. what what uh, do you think I, has I, more what do you think has more sand uh, tatooine or fiji <laughs> <laughs> um uh, i will go with the tatooine i went to definitely did not have more sand than fiji the original Tatooine in Tunisia probably, probably had the most. Oh, we're, but we're, which one has more moisture for the farmers? Oh, that's. A, I don't know. Actually, uh, Fiji is pretty humid, so I can imagine, yeah. and the, especially the rain that came. We got very lucky in that. Obviously, the uh, odd number seasons are likely to have uh, a bit of a storm come in. Uh, you know, obviously, seasons thirty-three and thirty-seven right. had the big evacuations happening, but we got very lucky in that it was pretty pristine throughout but yeah i can imagine for the most part uh fiji would contain more moisture than tatooine but less sand people. <laughs> the farmers would be rolling in i will say that there was one set on a soundstage in in sydney where they had recreated tatooine and it was full of sand and rocks amazing some of which i stole um <laughs> and uh yeah wow great. you're just you're just throwing yourself under the bus like that right don't you think you're gonna get to I kept it you're secret. Get a sternly leaded legal about that. There were some other people who also secretly stole rocks. I don't know. I don't know. I think we're expecting other. the mouse is going to file an injunction against you, Scott. Yeah. Like, please return the rocks <laughs> immediately. This was pre-mouse. But by the way, I'll get in a plug real quick. I'm on a podcast called this week called that just dropped. I think yesterday or the day before called Around the Galaxy, talking about my Star Wars days. So if you if you're into Star Wars. And you want to hear more of me babbling? I find that hard to believe, but check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've already talked about Star Wars too much for my tastes. But... Absolutely. Let's get back to Survivor. <laughs> Let's get to Star Trek. You know, I, what does everyone I, think I, of I Picard? Did... <laughs> <laughs> I did have a question related relating to your experience going there. You said you got to watch Tribal. So you, I, I don't know how much you're, you're allowed to talk about or whatever, but I have this theory that uh, PG sort of was willing to sort of give some credence to. And I think it's the cause of all the whispering is that they're just giving them less and less time between the immunity challenge and tribal than they have in the past Mm. to solidify their plans. And I think they're, it's a, it's not necessarily on purpose to create these live tribals, but that's a byproduct of their decision to compress the schedule for whatever reason, production, whatever, um, what do you think? Do you think that they have enough time based on the one time you got to be there for it? I mean, it's tough because I, it's a little bit like apples and oranges because I went to the first tribal council of an all newbie season, right? So yeah. I feel like 
I mean, for what it's worth, the challenge happened in the morning and Tribal Council happened at night. And, you know, the sunset's pretty early in Fiji, but it was still at night. So I feel like there was still a chunk of time that they could do stuff. I, I don't know. I, I could see where PG's coming from. I could see a certain perspective where production would be like, we like this image of people getting up and whispering at Tribal Council. So let's try to sort of artifice that or force the situation by shortening the time. But I don't know. Look at the Adam Boot episode. They're clearly still creating chaos at camp even if no matter what the yep. length of time is. So honestly, I think it's just a matter of like, they have a plan and then they sit down and then two people start whispering and then it goes wild. That was the case this episode, yeah. right? Like everything seemed pretty yeah. straightforward. And then once Tony started whispering to Jeremy, everyone's paranoia ticked up. And once Kim got up and started walking around, then it was off. Yeah. I mean, it does seem to be, there's always sort of a catalyst event that starts the whispering. Uh, and I know, you know, the whispering is really a hot topic right now on Twitter. A lot of people want to make, want to outlaw it. A lot of people want to find some other solution that allows people to communicate, but so that the viewers can actually hear it. This time I thought they did a good job of subtitling it. Yes. However, can I trust the subtitles? You know, uh, they, you know, they want to leave out certain information to make it look like things could go any direction. Um, and the way they can do that is by, you know, subtly changing the subtitles or not subtitling certain parts and subtitling others. So, I, you know, are we ever going to get, we're never going to get 100% accurate, true representation of what's happening out there. But that's true of all tribal councils. Exactly. That exactly. exactly. That's my point. Yeah, we, we, my we've point. seen in the past that, you know, they've reused, uh, you know, reaction shots or used them out of context. Even this episode, I think I noticed that there was a move where as the votes were coming in, Tony reached up and grabbed Jeremy on the shoulder. I'm pretty sure we saw that twice. We saw that like yep. once when a Jeremy vote came up and once when a Kim vote came up. So again, we've never had that. Even back in the days of Borneo, where it was like, let's have a very awkward but candid conversation. There was still editing to it. But I think that, you know, baby steps. And to your point, Ryan, I was very happy you know, if this was probably the best iteration of the Whisper Tribal Council yes. that we've seen so far, because there was a through line. Because uh, otherwise, yeah. if Sarah, if we if we have no subtitles, and then Sarah's like, "Uh, Tony, I don't I don't know if you want to play the idol on me," I would have no idea what's going yeah. on. But because we, as an audience at least, are clued in as to like, okay, now the message is spreading that the vote might actually be for Sarah, and they're trying to trick Tony, and now Tony might want to play his idol on Sarah. I got much more of a narrative through line. To your point, it might have been a bit of like, you know, trying to reorganize the shredded paper because there's so many simultaneous <laughs> <That's> conversations <laughs> going on. But I at least That's a great analogy. Yeah, but I at least got a through line here of like, okay, I understand that yeah. it's either Jeremy or Kim. Both are trying to save their asses right now. Tony's trying to turn the vote, but he also thinks that Sarah is vulnerable, which is why he nearly plays his idol on her. Yeah. What did we think of that? Sarah was. It was remarkable. She mostly stayed on her stump and didn't move while everybody else was milling around. And then she didn't. She yeah. said, "Don't play it on me." Yeah, I, I Sarah. How, how confident were they in the votes? I mean, that's um, astonishing. Well, I don't know. And maybe she wasn't as confident in the votes as much as she was confident that like the votes weren't coming onto her at least right, like she yeah. knew it was either going to be Jeremy or Kim. And I think maybe she had a bit of Denise in her where she's just like, this is just creating needless paranoia. Why do we keep stirring up this pot again and again and again? She also said it in the tribal council that she was like emotionally and physically exhausted. Maybe she just like, wasn't physically able 
to get up and start running around a mile a minute like somebody like Tony does. So I, I get to sort of like a mixture of all those things. But I mean, you also benefit immensely if you are somebody in the center, right? Because you can just sit down and people will either naturally come to you or you'll be in an advantageous spot where you can hear what's going on. Was she yeah. in the center? No, she, no, she was on the far. But I know that when Jeff was doing his uh, little racetrack announcer voice, like he was the Triple Crown, yeah. he was uh, he was saying that Ben was sitting in the middle and not much was coming to him. I will also say that yeah. I, I think that small changes can still be made to these tribal councils to I wouldn't say like discourage whispering, but to make it more fair. And one of them is honestly, we have a two row structure going on. If they yes. move it into one row, I'd be very intrigued to see what happens then in terms of like the whispering. Because I think, you know, Julie Rosenberg has br brought this up, some yes. others as well, is that they usually put people on these stumps in height order, taller people in the back, shorter people in the front. On average, your shorter survivor contestant is going to be a woman. And so when you have people in the back row whispering and you have people in the front not able to see, those people are most always going to be the women that are left out of these votes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that uh, there is a distinct advantage to, for the people in the back when it comes to the whispering. Can the people in the front participate? Of course, they always do, but they don't get to, they miss out on the beginning of it usually. Um, so I, I agree with that. I don't think, I don't think just framing the shot, I don't think it works in one line until you get to like final six right. or whatever. But um, so I don't know how they're going to, I think they might have to just get rid of whispering, which is they're never going to do that yeah. because they like it. Obviously. Um, Can we speak, you mentioned, you touched on Denise. Why was Denise so angry at Jeremy? And why was Ben so angry at Jeremy? Why is everybody so mad at Jeremy? Well, I think that, uh, you know, Ben is a different story. I honestly think for Ben, Jeremy's the new Adam in that like Ben is somebody who is quick to anger and I think that J Jeremy, he had this happened with Adam. This happened with Jeremy as well. I think it's just like if you if someone rubs you the wrong way, and there you have to interact with them every single day, it just sort of ends up manifesting itself in an oh. emotional reaction. But did anything specific happen? I mean, we never saw anything where to get to the point where Ben's like, I don't even want to speak to you. So, I think it's really simple, Scott. Ben has a terrible social game. He shouldn't have won Survivor. And that's the end of the story for me. <laughs> well, I agree with that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I, think, I still don't know why he was so angry. Well, I yeah. think he was, I would say a lot of it came from frustration that, you know, again, he feels like Jeremy is by far the number one person to win this game. Yet for some reason, he keeps surviving again and again. And Ben it seems like he's being painted as like the figurehead of these, these plans and they're getting ruined. So it's almost, it's not like he doesn't want to talk to Jeremy because he hates him. He doesn't want to talk to Jeremy because he's like, I just want to get rid of you. God damn it. Like, yeah. I don't want to work with you. I want and to get yeah, rid of you. Tony it. got Ben to change his vote. But yeah, Tony, yep. Tony did do that. Which when maybe, it all came down to it. Maybe Tony had promised Ben to like, like get rid of Jeremy next time. But yeah, I'm very surprised that happened considering that up until that tribal council, Ben was adamant. Tony was trying to bang him off with fire tokens to listen to the argument. And Ben's like, not going to do it. We can finally get rid of so Jeremy great. here. Can I give you some fire tokens just to talk to Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, but I, and which I, well, I guess what happens Tony's... again when you're... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say Tony's been telling Ben that Jeremy will be next, I think, for the last few councils. 
<laughs> and I think that, uh, you know, I also, when you're flush with cash, you can also do those type of things. Denise's perspective, I wonder if that 100% just came from her being like, okay, this is, I mean, she was the one that was telling Kim, like, don't be paranoid. We're doing this for no reason. The plan's good. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if she was just like, it wasn't directed towards Jeremy. It was just like, everybody shut the fuck up and let's just yeah, do, she do had this. Had it. Yeah, to the she, point where I've when, never like, seen her lose her cool in a long i guess she did a that was with, crazy did yeah. with abby maria i think Philly. that was a byproduct of tribal was probably taking a long time you know that's the thing i mean all you, that was you saw jeff said at one point like okay i guess we're settled down and then like sarah gets up to talk to ben and yeah. it must be annoying you know it's it's that game you play uh with like your comedy groups where you have to count to 20 but only one person can say a number at a time and like when it, when you uh, say things simultaneously, you have to start back at one. I can imagine how frustrating it is if you're like, I have a plan. The more confusing this plan gets, the more it's going to fall apart. Let's get to the vote. But then as exactly. soon as you sit back down, somebody stands back up and it's delayed another five minutes. So what you're I really think... saying is this group needs improv training. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, to that point, I think Denise may have been mostly just upset with Jeff's terrible improv with his, uh, his uh, when he was calling the race. <laughs> but and the Denise, I, I assume, voted against Jeremy. I she mean, did. This is a weird relationship between these two. And what was he saying to her? Like, are you sure you want to do that? You're only yeah, yeah. life tonight. That's why he basically said, like, are you sure you want to burn this bridge with me? Because you you won't you might not be safe tomorrow. But Denise had convictions that Jeremy would be the one going, so it wouldn't matter anyway. And I think and in retrospect, wrong. and yeah, and I think in retrospect, she definitely could have had a, a calmer, uh, less edgy take on it. But I will also say, and I mean, this is obviously applies to all contestants people that are going after denise uh you know chiding her for doing this saying she's rude like just stop it we all have better things to do especially at this time to like 100%. chase denise off of social media for the time being because Is she's that being what's going harassed. on on social media yeah, uh, to the point where people are, yeah, I mean, say what you want to about Ben and Denise's relationships with Jeremy, but I believe that two of them are being accused of being racist for oh, what they did to that's Jeremy. No, nah, that's ridiculous. I doubt Jeremy would agree with that. I agree. I but, but again, I think I, she was just frustrated, and I'm sure that later on she was like, oh... Yeah, I mean, it's, sorry, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not a good look. And that's the other thing as well is that Kim talked about it in this tribal council of like, this seems to be a weird season where, I mean, it's really the season of these voting blocks where every you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day and pretty much like all fences have been mended, emotions are fine, and then you just sort of proceed with the next yeah. round of the game. I could very easily see this here where you talked about like Michelle voted against Jeremy, Denise shut down Jeremy. I could see an incident where they apologize to each other, wake up the next morning, and they just keep on keeping on. Denise is such a racist that she saved Jeremy with her idol. Well, she didn't actually need to save him, but she right. played an idol on Jeremy earlier. I mean, clearly that that she's not that's not what's going on. Listen, all I'm saying is, could she be a racist? It's possible. We don't have evidence of it, though. I'm just saying. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, all I'm saying, and, and I will give Brian prop here for once, Denise, his winner pick. Probably not winning, but she's still in the game. Yep. My winner pick. Just voted out, baby. I voted out. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I give her kudos that she made it 
remarkably far for someone that has been painted with, you know, the best winning game of all time. And not only that, you know, she went out only due to Tony winning immunity and flipping the votes at the last minute. So she yep. was like, she, it, yeah. it wasn't like she went out due to some like fluke plan. Uh, it really was just like, it just so happened that she got got by someone who was also a very, very good player. I am with Sophie. And it's Ben's fault. It's actually Ben's fault, yeah. right? Because he's the one who told Tony that Kim had been coming after him. T- Kim was not on Tony's radar. Nope. At that point. No, yes, we were the- watching the show. My wife, who is, you know, I, as I've said before, is not more than a casual fan. She just goes, Ben's got a big mouth, doesn't he? <laughs> well, and it's to the point where, you know, Sarah, remember, had been insisting to Tony for the past few weeks, like, we got to get rid of Kim. Kim has everyone and she's in everyone's pocket. Like mm-hmm. she's going to win if she mm-hmm. makes it at the end. And Tony's like, I, I don't really want to get rid of Kim right now. And I think maybe because he had built some trust with her back during the swap tribe, I believe, but yeah, it ended up happening that because Ben went to Tony and was like, good thing you want immunity. Cause Kim was planning this. I would guess I would say Ben and Nick, right? Cause Ben was the one who said there was a coup against Tony. And Nick was the one who specifically mentioned Kim uh, that made Tony really turn on her. Otherwise this really could have been, jeremy's time to go or if he flipped the coin i don't know maybe michelle right yeah yeah wow uh can you imagine if michelle gave the coin to jeremy and jeremy they all vote for jeremy and then michelle goes home somehow like would have been crazy right like i don't think that would that have happened probably not right it, it would have been. Could have happened if they would have split the vote between jeremy and michelle right that which, is, which required... is what they did last episode yep yeah, you're right. Yeah, Man. I mean, I'm not, that's another reason to question that move on Michelle's part. I mean, I really like Michelle, and I, you know, I still view her as a dark horse to win. And we've gotten this whole narrative that she's proving herself. I would but, say now Michelle is probably my number one possible winner. Really, based on the edit, yeah. And my first just, argument against that in my head, as I was thinking about this yesterday, was. But Michelle's now been on the outside of so many. I know. But then I, I go, know. well, same with Sandra in Heroes versus Villains. Right. Yeah. And it just if she goes to the end with the people that I think are for sure going to the end, which is Nick and Ben, Michelle probably will win. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a and certain narrative. As, as, again, the interesting thing about final tribal councils and juries is you could make the same argument both for or against you. Yes, she's been left out of votes, but she also hasn't directly contributed in voting people out. Exactly. Either. And that, exactly. And that, you know, look at someone and that's like. That's how she won her first time. Yeah. I mean, but yep. look at someone like Fabio or Bob Crowley. You know, they were on mm-hmm. the outs of many votes, but they ended up winning because, you know, A, they sort of had an immunity winning story. And B, people were like, well, you know what? Uh, Chase voted. Chase and Sash voted me out. Fabio was on the outs, but I am angry that my allies turned on me. So, Fabio, you get my vote. Now, do I think that these winners are going to vote that way? I really don't think so. It does seem like they're trying to award gameplay as much as possible to award like the winner of the winners. But there, there's a there's a pro and a con to every argument you make at the final tribal council. I, I do think Michelle oh. has a shot. I think it just depends on who. It really depends more so than some other people as to who she's sitting next to. But like I like Michelle a lot, but don't you think if if it's Michelle, Nick, and Ben in the end, that will be a very anticlimactic tribal council and just no, i hate that i hate final very vocally claiming this is the best season ever and uh, he, he said really that be- in the past he said he's hyped up seasons in the past yeah, it but- is one of the best seasons ever even if those three make it to the end like 
would he be saying it though? Usually when he hypes it up, it's because like, well, Mike Holloway wins his way to the end and he wins the game. It's the best season ever. Like, I feel like that's Jeff's. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff taste is like, Boston Rob doesn't quit and he comes back at the end and he wins the game. Let's talk about that because, because we haven't talked about the edge challenge yet. This is a good Good way to transition to it. You mentioned yeah. Boston Rob. You mean the stuff that's happening not in the game? Yeah. Are we getting any clues from this challenge about who comes back? I mean, it Natalie. depends on what the ch- yeah. It depends on what the challenge is. Uh, if it ends up being something endurancey, it's got to be Natalie or the field, right? Like this girl right. is a superstar to the point where like I would not be surprised if we see her on the challenge in the next like two to three years because she's. <laughs> I mean, she's a CrossFit trainer. She is like perfectly yeah. built for that she is an absolute machine and so that's really like the one thing that i got i've i've been trying not to figure out like edge of extinction content because it really like especially comparing it to like you know how they were in the game like you could say oh could ethan be coming back but i wonder if the reason why we didn't really get a lot of ethan during his boot is for this big log carrying moment uh sort of like his big thing I maybe we're not seeing yeah. Boston Rob come back because he had his big moment. So I guess I'm more so looking at the edge of extinction as like concluding storylines for these characters. Like I'm sure you guys have talked yeah. about like what chances Tyson stand of coming back again. I don't think so because I think he was, he was like the Joey amazing in Cambodia, right? Of like, I just want to make right. the family visit. Family visit. Yep. And he yep. it, we were, now he's gone. Yeah. We agree. And, yep. and, and it's over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's why in season 38, as soon as Kelly Wentworth had that big moment on Edge of Extinction, I was like, I think that's it for Kelly. Yeah, same with David Wright. Coming back. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I think that like the Boston Rob, whether that was his last big moment or not, I just think they can't resist showing that. Re- right. uh, Martin Holmes, is it? Redmond? Who's mm-hmm. been doing... Uh, uh, recaps in Vulture, and he had a couple of good lines this week that I appreciated. One was about about Boston Rob on the edge, and was that like him completing the challenge was like a Stockholm syndrome, which is the same terminology I used for Boston Rob leading the big thank you when everybody thanked yes. Jeff at the end of the episode. Um, like these thank people the are, yeah, are thanking for the scraps, but he also characterized Boston Rob as like the reverse Sandra where Sandra like saw this is not for me. I will not win the challenge. I will not be happy here. I'm leaving. And, um, you know, Ryan and I are in agreement that she was, you know, totally right to do that. She's still a legend. And Rob was like, I can't ever quit a challenge. I must finish this, even though I've already lost and I've cracked my elbow. Um, I yeah. just thought that was an interesting observation. He's the becoming the reverse Sandra. It did not endear me to Rob. It just seemed like such grandstanding, such whatever. I understand it's on brand for him and all that, but geez, come on. I mean, this, but we've we've seen this as well ten years ago, right? With the it's getting yeah. the best of me, crybabyitis, I collapse. Like we know this from Boston Rob too. Uh, so it's not it's not exactly a part <laughs> of his character that we're really. It's it's I am more so intrigued as to how everyone else reacted to it. You know, like it's very clear who was it, Ethan, 
Amber, Danny, uh, who else? Rob and one other person that I can't remember didn't end up winning. Did the other Adam? Yeah, and Adam. Did they just like? Did the others just drop their coconuts and stop? Did they all continue until they dropped twenty off? Like if they were close? Like did anyone? I'm intrigued. Yeah, that's a good point. I I have no idea if, if it was just if it really was such an outlier that Boston Rob's like I only have fourteen coconuts, so I'm gonna keep going. Or if others had done that as well, they just finished way ahead of him because he had to get medical attention. Right. I could totally see that. And I could also see Rob going, you know what? Uh, I can really get some great camera time here if I'm last and they can make it look like I'm the only one who finished it when I didn't need to. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, and I'll, I'll or also he say- may not have even thought about being portrayed as the only one so much as I'm injured, but I'm going to finish yeah. it and that'll look right. great. Yeah. yeah. And the, this whole, I think Jeff calls them effort tasks. I'm not sure why it was brought about here. I guess I sort of like the competitive aspect and at least it's the first six. Like yes. I, I know that as, yeah. as emotional as the first one was, some people were angry that it was like, Oh, they're bonding, you know, like that's not what survivor is about, but at least this was more like a recap of a race, but it still felt odd, especially from like the narrative perspective that it was them talking in the past tense. Cause we don't really experience that in survivor proper. Yeah, that that's like um, kind of big brothery, right? Exactly. And it's also actually more like Survivor season one, where season one was much more like a documentary where you'll have Kelly Wigglesworth be like, yeah, and then Rich approached me earlier in the day and we won't actually see the footage. It's more so like them recapping it to us. Mm-hmm, so to have them mm-hmm. be like, yeah, you know, it, uh, I was catching up to Wendell, but then I had slowed down too much. It, it's, an, it's a new perspective, quite literally from the close-ups to how these people, yeah. uh, you know, recap these things. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's weird. Now that you mention it, that did sort of sit weird with me and I couldn't really put my finger on it, but that's absolutely right. Like we don't get a lot of past perspective like that. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I we mean, I, definitely go ahead. Well, I'm I'm glad that at least this was something that did not have to bring something into the game. You know, this wasn't like find an advantage and sell to somebody because, you know, I'm glad they've been at least a little tempered with the edge of extinction where it's not, hey, let's put an advantage in the game each and every week because then you just get completely overwhelmed as a player and a viewer. At the same time, mm-hmm. like, do we need these F- these Herculean tests of strength to give people two fire tokens so that everyone's on the same playing field when we get into the challenge? I- I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, did I mean, notice. there's so many problems with Edge, period. Yeah, it's like We've gone over many of them. And the one that keeps haunting me the most is the idea of somebody, the, the biggest one, of somebody Chris Underwooding it. Because I just, if if somebody comes back from the Edge and wins the game, I will be even more upset than last time because... It just, the biggest problem with that, forget about the purity of the game, which I also have, you know, issues about. It renders everything we've been watching and everything we've been talking about today completely irrelevant. Yep. You know, a a big problem that I have with it is, and this is one of the reasons why I think, you know, with regards to Big Brother, Derek played a better season than Dan Giesling did when they, on their winning seasons, is this contact with the jury for someone who sits at the final three, who's gotten to contact the jury and talk about the game outside of the game like that is such a huge advantage. And, you know, Dan got to do that. Um, And I look at other things like big brother Canada one. Dan, Dan won won at one, a power at a certain point to take 
to go go on a date basically with a jury member oh, uh, and so he took he took michelle costa on like a beachside dinner to sort of, and, I, and i believe it actually didn't go well i believe she wow. did dress him down but you can imagine that that definitely did help him in the end i mean he does end up winning unanimously so it wasn't like it was close but yeah right. it's still a weird component I forgot. I don't have the yeah. same memory for Big Brother that I do and for Survivor. It's definitely not the same as the as Edge of Extinction. Obviously, you're not. He wasn't living with the jury. You know, there's been other shows that have had buyback challenges from the jury. Big Brother Canada season one arguably massively advantaged the person who who didn't end up winning, but only by technicality. Um, uh, but uh, you know, that sort of thing is like it's such a huge advantage to get to bond with the jury outside of the game like that. Well, I was, you know, very pleased that everybody on edge of extinction, uh, at least from what we saw were presented as what their character has been established. Amber is simply there to care about and support Boston. Rob (laughs) Adam is there solely to tell us that he's terrible at the game. Yep. To be a, completely worthless spaz yeah yep i mean and i feel i would never have done well at any of the physical stuff so no of course no, to, to be fair like adam's, adam's a great analog in this situation right because he's like i know i'm not good at this so i will also say sophie and maybe this is me typifying her as like a typical nerd i mean she kicked ass in that i challenge. was surprised i was like i didn't know sophie Very was athletic. so good she's athletic Unlike. i didn't know she was that athletic yeah um much more so than your typical nerd. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, either that or, she just, mean, or, like, she, or, or she's like an endurance athlete or trained for it beforehand. But yeah, I mean, she nearly had, she was nearly going to be in first place, which didn't have any sort of distinction, but it would have been interesting to have Sophie beat Natalie in an endurance challenge. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Natalie had to pass Sophie at the very end to do it, right? Mm-hmm. According to the way they yes. had it narrated. But that was interesting how Natalie was just like, but I decided I just chose to win the challenge. So I did. Yeah. Which again, like I we love, being a machine I, when she's just like, oh yeah, I guess I, I'll turn on and win. I adore Natalie. And I felt from the very beginning that she was being set up to come back, uh, editorially speaking. And I still think that and I, I would be thrilled to see her come back. I just don't want her, the winner to come from the edge. Yeah. I'm a huge yeah, that- Natalie fan. And just for the fact that she got voted off first and like, didn't really get a chance to play. I would love to see her back in for at the end. If somebody has to come back. So that's the thing. I'm so torn because it's like, I, I agree. I would love to see Natalie back. She was really targeted just as like Adam sort of shuffling off the blame at the last second to keep him and Denise safe. At the same time, there's something about a first boot coming back into the game at a, at the final six that just does not leave a great taste in my mouth. Just the constant. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, especially if she were to win. But that's a problem with the edge of extinction. I'm not going to blame Natalie for that. No, I would not blame her. It's just the position that she's in. You know, you're like, you want to root for the person. But at the same time, like the concept that she's representing is not great. No, I completely agree. But like yeah, speaking yeah. of Adam, like well, you know there was enough content, I'm sure, that of where they could have portrayed him as, you know, I'm not as strong as these people, but I'm going to keep going because yes, that's of what course. I do. Yep. This is two we weeks got, in a row. Yeah. Instead, we got I suck at this. <laughs> yeah, you know? and it's this. And last week we got a third person perspective on how much Adam, how difficult it's going to be for Adam to be right. a loser. Right. You know. 
Yeah, I love when I, Wendell, I feel like when, he might when quit. Wendell jumped when Wendell jumped, and Adam was like, "How did you do that?" I, <laughs> I've, I've been. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel, but I have been loving characters like Adam and Ben this season because, like, I feel like we need those people, and I feel bad because Adam yes. has been painted as a doofus this entire season but like the moves that he makes sometimes make sense like yeah of course he tried to play jeff's podium as an idol but like he knew he was going and he saw it in an international season so it makes sense so i i oh, do yeah. so no. i feel i feel bad yeah. like for a certain perspective this is like you know he feels like he understands what's happening but the show is sort of taking an opportunity to paint him as a comic character which might lead him to be mocked by a lot of people online, but it hundred percent agree. Yeah. But it's, but it's all in good totally fun agree. in my opinion. Like, again, I, I totally felt for Adam here of like, I'm glad that people, this is the, this is the Sandra approach, right? Of like, I know this challenge isn't for me. So let me just sort of take my own leisurely pace with it. I know I'm not getting fire tokens today. And just the incredulity that Adam had, I thought was very funny this episode. Oh, I, mean, I, I think we're getting set up for Adam to take one look at the final challenge to get back in the game and go, I'm, I'm going to go to Ponderosa. Yeah. See you guys. <laughs> I <doubt. laughs> I can't imagine any of them are going to quit at this point. No, they have, they so have like three days left, if that. So, yeah. yeah, they're getting so close. But I agree. I mean, I agree with everything you said. Like, it's Adam has been unfairly portrayed, but he's been so entertaining this season. Yeah. I think. And same with Ben. I mean, Ben has been hilarious when he carried Tony off, <laughs> like his bride. I yeah. You know, they, one of my sort of, one of my, preseason concerns is that it was going to be hard to create a disparity of character types with a cast of all winners, right? These are all massively charismatic people who understand how to play the game well. And to the show's credit, they have done a great job of creating villains and Wendell of like goofy Dodo edits and Adam and Ben, you know, Tony is all over the place. Of course he's entertaining. They've managed to like make these people seem like all different people, despite the fact that they're, they all have one thing in common and that's that they're very good at survivor. Right. And that's good enough to win. And and that's, and that's, and that's a thing that like I have personally come to terms with that actually Brett LaBelle said something very interesting in an interview I did with him a couple of weeks ago about Adam, where he's saying like, we should all remember that these people all won. It's just that only one person is going to win this season. So to your point, yeah. Ryan, like every season people have roles to play. And it just so happens that like this season, you know, we go from Adam's very heartwarming very underdog story in 33 to getting the dodo edit in season 40 Mm -hmm. should that reflect on him as a person or as a player i personally don't think so i think it's just he fit a different role in the narrative uh but i think that reflects upon you know the way wendell's being portrayed for example uh you know considering that he went from one of the most well-liked winners ever as jeff probst puts it to one of the you know most negatively portrayed Mm -hmm. people on the season i think it honestly just comes down to the fact of like yeah they didn't win so they're going to play a different role as to either why they went home or what role they play in someone's relationship yeah it's it's really like you know we we all you know scott and i have talked about the edit since the very first episode of our podcast the edit is the show it's so important it's very very huge but this season is really like putting into perspective how much storytelling goes on you know you look at these people's winning seasons and they're just like these gods and then they're just not the editors are not afraid to throw them under the bus this season because that's how they need they need that to tell the story and to create comedy and and you know drama and conflict and all of that stuff that makes for a good season. So, so before we um, get to our segments, 
Let's just oh, bring... I'm not even ready to go to oh, this. Oh, so we else? still have yeah, more to talk, talk about. What, do, what, what else do Let's we talk have? about jumping down from the challenge for peanut butter and cookies. Ooh, I mean, oh, that's a choice. Yes, that yeah, is so, a choice. So here's my thought. I mean, first, great throwback to the Survivor of the Amazon. Uh, luckily, they didn't mm-hmm. have to do as much. I personally wonder, from the Kim and Michelle side, if they were like, okay, Tony's Nick is going to beat Tony, so we don't care among the three of us who ends up winning. And that's when they step down. Yeah. Like, I wonder if the order is reversed. If like Nick steps down and Tony becomes immune, I wonder if Kim stays up there because she feels she may be in trouble based on that. They, I think they were very screwed by the fact that Nick stepped down almost right after they did. I, I totally agree with that. And I think that it's possible we didn't see this, but there was a lot of animosity towards Nick as a result. Uh, you know, Kim was probably going like, dude, you, I thought you wanted to get Tony out. Why did you why right. did you let him win? Yeah, we saw that a little because bit it camp, was separated right? by men and women, Kim had the luxury, so to speak, of stepping yes. down. What was your thought on that, by the way? Because, I mean, we've seen gender challenges this late before. Like, I think Cambodia had a gender challenge. But, I don't know. It feels so weird to me that it was, like, four against four, basically. Uh, that you, had, you only needed a one in four chance of winning immunity. Was this such... Uh, a body-based challenge that it needed a man and a woman to win. I doesn't seem that way. I mean, I my guess is that if if it wasn't that Denise would have outlasted Tony. Oh, 100%. And I think producers knew that. And I think they wanted Tony to win. But, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist when it comes to Survivor. That's the kind of juicing that that's the kind of spit they can put on the ball uh, in a situation like this. You know, they have the extra immunity necklace already. It's very easy at the last minute to go. Why don't we make this a gendered challenge? Uh, We can totally do that. And it might protect someone we care about. I don't think they're that in the tank for Tony that they're like, we got to make this a gender challenge just on the chance that maybe Tony will win because we want him to stand. Even if that was the case that they really wanted him to stand, they know he has an idol. That's true. And I, I think the, the argument that I've seen from actually speaking of Australian Survivor season one, the great uh, Nick Iadanza put out there that maybe the reason why they're doing gendered immunities is because each winner gets two fire tokens and they want to keep filling the game full of fire tokens so that there's more mm. maneuverability there. Cause they essentially mm. see they, they yeah. doubled the amount of fire tokens being distributed this episode just by adding another necklace. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, Nick, as always very insightful. I don't know how they make the decisions on whether it's a, you know, one for each gender or not. Um, I've never even thought about it, to be honest. I've just gone, oh, this time. I've been maybe naive enough to believe that they've got it planned. The challenges are planned out in advance and that they're not I don't know if that's necessarily for any reason. Yeah. You know who we can ask when we get to our finale episode, Scott, if we think of it, that's is uh, Miles. Right. Because Miles will, Miles will know, yeah, ahead of time, they, they determine what challenges are gendered. Um, or he'll he'll likely know that. I don't know for sure that he'll know that, but he probably will. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I I always, my conspiracy theories always get uh, shot down by Miles, so it will be nothing new for me. Well, speaking um, of Tony, I just want to, I know we started with Tony. I want to get back to Tony for, for a couple minutes just to say, like, I, I know we've all been marveling, and I know, Ryan, you've said they will not let him get to the end. It's so, as a fan and a viewer for me, it's so exciting 
to watch Tony walk this high yes. wire. And I mean, I find myself rooting for him to find that second idol, even though I, I don't necessarily want people to have like so much power, but I just so enjoy watching him. Yes. With his bag of tricks, you know, and I really was disappointed he didn't find that second idol because I don't want Ben to have I mean, an he, idol, he but... was very close to. I mean, it, I, I guess the so question close. is like, how tight is his relationship with Ben? Because now that he knows Ben has an idol, like, I mean, Ben was saying, like, can I use, should I use my idol on you, Sarah? So it does seem like at the moment it's Ben, Sarah, and Tony in lockstep with maybe Jeremy yeah. as a bit of a floater here. And I guess Michelle right. comes with. And Nick, I think and Nick, Nick is Nick is close to Tony, but I think. But I guess I, that's my question is how long can Tony stay on this high wire? I know we don't have the answer, but I mean, if he can stay up there and not fall off the wire, he's going to get into the final three. We're seeing what I consider, I think, one of the better games played from the top that we've seen in a long time. Like, this is an incredible from the top game. And it's all because, you know, he's not wearing a bulletproof vest. He's acting like he's in a tank, you know, like right. he's completely impervious. And he, and he, like, and it's, I, you know, you know, when we get to the segments, I'm going to talk about this, but I think there's no possible way he can win without winning immunity every round or playing an idol. Like, it's just not possible anymore. He blew it, you know, like he blew his from the bottom. I mean, everybody said, oh, it's going to be this big thing between Tony and Sarah, you know, after the Sophie vote. Oh, and, and it really wasn't. She was hurt because she, she has no it. choice. But it's not just because she has no choice. I mean, there's something going on with Tony that he's able, and he did it the first time. And yes, these are winners, and they should be smarter. And I'm sure that they know on some level they have to get rid of him. But he, there is something that goes on, and he's able to flip votes. And Jeremy's still seen as a target. And at this point, with only seven left, everybody's going to be seen as a target. And We've seen so many times where we go into an episode going, well, this person is definitely in trouble. And the episode goes by, and they're not even a part of it. And it's just like suddenly it's down to two people yeah. you never would have expected it to be down between for that, for who go, goes in the next episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, I just think his days are so numbered. Look, Ben tried to lie to him. Uh, Nick did lie to him. Like nobody except for Sarah actually thinks of Tony as like someone they want to go to the end with or that they trust. Right. But the more Tony stays safe, the more people are going to need to incorporate him in their plan. Of course. Like and he's absolutely necessary. He an idol. Yeah. He's absolutely necessary if he wins immunity and, and also because he has an idol, he's it's absolutely necessary that you at least try to work with him. Right. Yeah. Like, they know no the, most, the most they can do is flush his idol. Well, they could blindside him. It would be very difficult. It would be very hard to, to blind. They'd have to get Oh, my Sarah God. Can you involved. imagine? Sarah would have to be involved in the, the blind side. That's the culmination of, this, of the spy nest. Could be. As he hears, he gets word of the blind side. <laughs> oh, man, that would be sick. Or, he, or, right. or she uses the spy nest against him and tells people to go talk oh. to him. Well, there you I mean, go, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, even at the swap tribe, right? They're like, let's not go to the water well because we know that's where Tony hit out last time. Like, why is he yeah. going to the damn water well? <laughs> he, loves it. he loves it. Hey, you know, to- Tony, he can't resist playing the same exact game that he always did. This well, I know Tony's so up in well the tree. this season. 
I know Tony's up in that tree. How do you know? I found his bamboo ladder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you right think he got up the there? Tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe uh, maybe that bird poop had some, maybe there was someone else hiding oh in the tree. Oh my God, we haven't even mentioned the <laughs> Was it bird poop or bat poop? I, I, was, I, bat would, poop, I would imagine I it was bat poop. I imagine it was guano. Yeah. Well, what kind was, of bird is out at the nighttime? Because Fiji, Fiji does have some like a pretty big population of bats that come out at night. Well, and many, I am not the first. I've seen this all over Twitter um, to say that that just proves that Tony is bat shit insane. <laughs> yeah. good one good one when i was a kid uh for boy scouts we slept in a cave one night um and it was full of bats and i'm actually now thinking back totally shocked that we didn't get pooped on in the night but they would constantly swoop down at your head <laughs> while you're trying to fall asleep it was the most terrifying night of my life when the bat pooped on me and he said i don't know if that's good luck or bad luck my my wife, I don't know where she got this information because I didn't quiz her on it. She just goes, "It's good luck." <laughs> she, she, she immediately she immediately confirmed that it was good luck, and apparently it was. Well, you know, Can Ben you thought it was karma. Won three immunities in a row. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a secret. If if you had told me, hey, Tony's going to be, we're going to do an all winter season, and Tony's going to be the star, I would think like, okay. It's worth a worldwide pandemic for that. That's like a price I'll pay. This is amazing. It's the best ever. Like I love it so much. The Tony's the star of this season. In a row. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, obviously I'm joking. You know. Yeah, I was gonna say like but, uh, just not, let's not take this out of context. But yeah, it's he's been really really incredible this post merge in particular. I mean, I would not say that the pre merge he was the star. Uh, but he really no. has been like a Johnny come lately when it comes to this storytelling. And it has been, yeah. from my perspective, riveting. I can understand that some people are a little tired of the Tony show all the time, especially after last week. But I'm glad that after last week, like if we had kept doing all Tony all the time, and then, yeah, I would have been a little uh, unhappy with just like the beat over your head storytelling. But we got back to like some relatively even storytelling this episode. that I'm like, okay, I'm fine with like a one-time lark just to celebrate like how much Tony was involved in this end game and in this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't I, I, I don't care. Give me all the time. Last week. And and yeah. yeah, I would have him I would have him be the star every week if I had my way. <laughs> I don't I, and there's other charismatic people there, but let's I don't want and not, no offense and I don't want the Nick show. I don't want the Ben yeah. show. I want the, I don't want the Sarah show. Yeah. I don't want the Tony show. Yeah, like you said, no offense, I but I don't like any of these people enough to see them on my screen for forty-two <laughs> minutes. Look, I'm fine with them being supporting actors yeah. in the Tony Show, but they're like, all great you know, in their own way, but they're not as wildly entertaining as Tony is. Right, right, yeah. To me, you know, uh, yeah. Every every good show needs its its uh, Kramer, right? And right, but then Michael Richards does his whole Michael Richards show, and then that just tanks. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it, he can't be the star of the show. You can't have the Kramer be the star of the show. Um, what, what's another good example? Like if, if if Dwight Dwight became the boss on The Office, you know, for a long time, right. uh, that that wouldn't have been fun. So maybe I'm arguing against my original point, <laughs> but boy, these guys really hate spinoffs. <laughs> well, so I think we can move on to our segments. I think I we've know. covered many of the major points. 
So let's do it. We're, yeah, we're knocking on hour 46. So let's definitely move to the segments. All right. First segment. Hold up, bro. Hold up. Hold up. All right. This is hold up, bro. This is, uh, what was the moment you said, hold up, bro. And you had to rewind your DVR because people still watch on DVR I to do. watch the scene again. Um, and I'll start if you guys want. You, if you, you have, go uh, ahead. You have sure. the floor. Yeah, then you guys can think of one. Uh, yeah. So uh, mine was, and this was pointed out on Twitter. I wish I had written down who pointed it out, but it's super interesting to me. In the beginning, we're shown a nighttime fight between Tony and Sarah. You know, Sarah's pissed. You you screwed my game, blah, 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 right? Later on in the episode, there's a daytime fight where they're wearing the exact same stuff. They're sitting in the exact same positions relative to the ocean. And she's also upset yeah. then. And I'm like, I think they just put the nighttime filter on the daytime fight. That'd be sure. Well, did they, did, the, did the nighttime have Nick lurking about like it did during the daytime fight? Or was this just <laughs> part two of Sarah being like, and another thing? I think it was just more of the fight that they just like were like, you know what? We want we want this to be part of the post tribal sequence. Or um, to I, show I don't know. I, I feel like it's in the realm of reality that Sarah wakes up the next day. She's like, "No, I'm still pissed at Tony, and let me tell you why." I'm still pissed, and we're gonna go sit in the exact same spot, wearing the exact same clothes, in the exact same way. Could it have been that it started at night and the sun came up, and they were still arguing? Oh. It could have been, but that would have been a no joke two hour fight at least because it takes a while for the for the light. Uh, to get more than two hours would have been at least like three or four hours, considering yeah, what time exactly. they usually come back from tribal. I don't know if there's a filter that automatically would make it look like night vision. Neither do I, and that's really the I only that's that. really the only flaw. Because when the sun is out, it's so hard. You know, night vision is just totally blown out i have tried to and been part of you know post productions where we've tried to make day look like night and it's, it's very difficult. i'm not saying that i am as good as the people who make it's so a fun. weird coincidence very, in any case it's very yeah. difficult to do that yeah and it, uh well so in any case i, I had to go back and watch and everything in the in the scene not just the right. sky no you're right you're right no you're right <laughs> um Interesting. And, well, interesting. The exact same location. That's interesting because they were previously talking by the shore. Was was yep. the water in the background in the nighttime one? Well, I don't think you could see it because it was nighttime. You usually can't see the background very well, but they, it's just their positioning was the same mainly. That's their arguing spot. Yeah, exactly. I know. I honestly could see a thing where they're like, "All right, same spot. Let's go. Let's go back yeah, and talk some more." Yeah. Exactly. Like, they, like exactly. that honestly could be like their cops are us like hangout spot. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, in any case, it was interesting to like go back and look. Well, but, I uh, held up, bro, on a couple spots. Uh, one I've talked about a couple times was I wanted to watch Ben carry Tony off into the into the horizon. Watching him times. try to hide the idol right before that was pretty funny. Yeah, just too. trying to casually yeah. talk while trying to slip it into his pocket while he's like four feet away yeah. from Tony. So yeah, good. That was all so gold. Good. And um, I also, I, I, this is a very interesting observation, but I did go back and uh, watch Boston Rob fall a couple times. Any particular reason to see how cracked his elbow was? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see, like, was it as bad as it seemed? Well, we weren't allowed to see it, right? He falls behind a rock. Yeah. We actually didn't he, get he to see how frame. bad it was. Yeah. Which also makes sense. I think makes... I think when you're d darting across those slippery rocks, I don't think you want a cameraman like right next to you as you do it. 
No, there was someone above. I noticed when Danny a slipped. Lot of drones, a lot of drones. Right. When Danny slipped, she looked up at something and we heard the voice, you know, are you okay? And she was answering up. So I think someone was on top of the rocks, like maybe filming or whatever, but like, or maybe there's a producer up there uh, in any case. Uh, my hold up bro moment. I mean, I would say almost the entirety of the whispering just to make sure that like I had everything down as to who was talking to who. But the one thing that I still have a question about is at one point, Kim tells Jeremy that she has an idea and we get no follow up on it. And obviously they don't vote together because they vote for each other. But now I want to wonder what that idea was that she proposed. Yeah, that's a good point. Like maybe yeah. maybe that was to Ryan's point, like spinning us towards this idea that like okay maybe everyone's gonna turn against Sarah, and maybe that was a plan, and Kim just didn't see it going her way, so she, uh, so she squashed that plan. But I just found that was like a weird little ellipses that they left. Yeah, I'd have to see what else was around it to see why they included it. But interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, let's move on. Um, Ill regrets. Ill regrets. All right, this is ill regrets. This is the moment in the show. Or no, sorry, that's my script for hold up, bro. Uh, this is ill regrets. This is uh, who do you think is going to have ill regrets about a choice they made, something they did this episode, and you cannot choose Kim. Uh, and Kim would be so easy to choose for the peanut butter thing, but um, I am. I am going. I'm going to say Denise, uh, just because she was left out of the vote. She was uh, super affront to Jeremy about like, no, we're going to do this when clearly he was in the majority. She is without, I think, someone that she was pretty close to in Kim, and she doesn't have an idol. Uh, And I think that slowly but surely her outs are shrinking and she may regret, you know, uh, being on the outside of the vote, but also like stymieing that discussion and ticking off somebody who is coming back into the game with her. Yeah, yeah maybe the next to go. I I could easily see it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, mine, I've been h- hinting at it all episode. Is Tony? I just think he's playing way too wild. He's just like he gets so cocky when he's got that necklace on. And as Jeremy said, you know, you only have that necklace this week. You might not have it next week. And I think I think Tony, while it's entertaining and I love it, I love seeing the way he's playing. It's just like so high profile. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's I last week I said, hey, I I think Tony might have some ill regrets. It turned out he didn't. Well, only because he won immunity. Yeah, but he's also got he's also got an idol. That's true. He's also got But an idol doesn't keep you from still having ill regrets because if you have to play it, then you probably did something you weren't supposed to do. Yeah, I'll be very intrigued to see, like, with Tony pulling out his idol for Sarah, again, even though he doesn't use it, what's going to be the repercussions from people like Denise and Michelle? You know, are they going to be more hesitant to target Tony? Are they going to be more encouraged to target Tony because they're like, let's flush his idol? I, I'm I'm intrigued because now the secret is out for everybody. What does that mean for these people that are in the minority? Yeah, yeah, it is I, interesting. I love that there's so much known information about the advantages. I think that makes them more fair. I, I lean toward Denise as well, um, for the reasons Mike stated. But just to mix it up, um, I'll go with Michelle. 
for giving Jeremy the 50-50 and voting against him. And I hope she gets it back. <laughs> it's such an insane she spent, she spent move. Four fire tokens on this thing. And she's like, well, okay, so I have to hedge my bets. Like, if he doesn't win the coin flip, I need to be voting for him. Yeah, well, like, uh, what? <laughs> What advantage does she have? I mean, even if he comes back, I mean, even if he he flips it and he doesn't get voted out, I'm not totally sure how that benefits her. Other, I mean, they're 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 two out of seven. She he's her meat shield in a manner of speaking. So like that would keep him another moment in the game. She has one like guaranteed person to vote with. So, um, but yeah, and maybe she's trying to like disguise their relationship and think she's in with the girls by voting against Jeremy. Uh, it's sort of like what happened with like Kelly and Dean last season. We're like, yeah, I'll give you this idol to play, but I'll still vote against you so that nobody can figure that, you know, right. the, exactly. the how that work out. Yeah, exactly. But the, where the two of us are, uh, you know, are working together. So we'll see. But I think we talked about this before. I could very easily just see like Michelle be like, well, you didn't use it. So can I have it back? And Jeremy's like, yeah, sure. Here you go. Though so he probably will yep, ask, ask for it back in the next like hour or so when they go to tribal council. Yeah. <laughs> sure as soon as he doesn't win immunity, he's going to ask for it back. Uh, yeah, it, it it's, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I don't know. I love when Tony said to start, can you just try to win an immunity already? Yeah. yeah. And she, Oh, and what about and when she hit him and he's like, like, Oh, your hand, it's really yes. heavy. <laughs> you heavy hands. Hey, is that, was that foreshadowing? Is Sarah going to vote out? Tony in a very heavy-handed way. Yeah. Or she tries one of those immunity I, challenges where you have to hold the ball in between like the little pegs of wood and she fails at it because her hands are too heavy. Yep. Yep. I, think I love it was how they shook her about everything. No, I don't yeah. have a heavy hand. We don't have a lot yeah. of time. Yes, we do have a lot of time. <laughs> you just tanked my game. No, I didn't. Yeah, their routine has been quite funny it's this still season. You and me, Sarah. It's you and me. Yeah, because, I mean, we... They, you know, split apart and came back together for only one vote in Kagayan. They didn't come back together in Game Changers at all. So, like, this has been a dynamic six years in the making of them not only coming back together, but working together to a certain extent, given all the ups and downs. Well, that's why I'm really, at this point, hoping they're both in the final three together, because it's such a culmination of that story arc. And with it would be amazing. Him a winner and her a winner, and then to just have it come down to the two of them, and will the student become the master? You know, it's just. I think Tony. If Tony makes it to the end, he wins going away, not close. I mean, just based on the jury's reaction, Rob going. Tony's a boss, dude. Like they see Tony's moves. The jury, they are well aware of Tony's moves. Unless you know, there's going to be a. There's still, uh, you know four what four or five more votes somebody else could make an impression yeah listen we look what happened to chris underwood he you could say he definitely had an advantage because of the edge but a lot of those jurors argue that had he not had that three vote run that he did at the end of edge of extinction there it might have been a bit more of a close vote so i wouldn't say that that could happen to somebody coming back from the edge but i definitely see scott's point that i think there still are five votes left and that could be an opportunity for maybe not necessarily to get rid of tony but for another power player to emerge and maybe challenge yeah. him because the you jury know, the jury off rick devins moves and and was rooting for him and somebody else came along and scooped up the votes well but devin devins wasn't an option if chris and devins had both been right. in the finals That's devins true. wins easily uh because he actually played the game more but but in in any case, yeah, I mean, you are right. Like the jury does often have a what have you done for me lately kind of a, approach to their voting. 
I know on the few juries I've been on, that is the case a lot of the time where I will focus heavily on the last three, four votes. Yeah, and to that point where like when people will try to make arguments about like in the pre-merge this happened, that almost never matters to anybody. Unless you're like a Stephanie LaGrosa and you're the last member of your tribe. If you weren't there and it was three weeks ago, it does not matter to people. Yeah, absolutely. And it it's it's it sucks when people make amazing moves like Denise pre-merge and you just know they're not going to get any credit well, if they make it. Maybe to that's why she was so adamant about telling people what happened at the merge so that everyone remembered yeah. it. No, right. you oh, you almost have to in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my live to game game, Scott, you saw I played an idol effectively pre-merge and I did tell people at the merge because a it's going to get the story's going to get out anyways. Right. Like public knowledge and be like yeah i want them to know that if i do make it to the end you are absolutely you're a legend uh no, to get no. Community. all right let's get to our, our next segment because I'm, I'm starting to get texts yes. from my wife asking what the okay great uh we've got the this is home. getting loud <laughs> we only like it if it's loud we only like it if it's loud go i can get loud too what the f- all right, this is getting loud. Who got loud this week? Who stood out in a good way? Um, well, I'm gonna say Tony. I'm. All right, it's a good answer. Yep, it's uh, a good answer. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll go for a contrarian point. I'll say Sarah because I mean, she literally got loud and yelling at him. But just like we talked about at the beginning of this two-hour odyssey, I'm still very surprised that despite <laughs> being like, okay, Tony's immune, let's go for Sarah. That did not cross anybody's minds. Kim was adamant on still going for Jeremy, despite the fact that she said the cops are going to be a problem. Yeah, no, that's nuts to me. And it's the same reason why I wrote down I was choosing Sarah as well for getting loud. I cannot believe that she's not drawing fire when she's very clearly Tony's closest ally. And if Tony's target number one, you got to shoot the lieutenant, right? Like if you if you don't have a bead on the general, you you shoot the next person in line. It's yeah. it's insane to me that they're especially considering her social game is incredible. Yeah, but but I guess it, in this case it's them assuming like, well, you know, uh, we could shoot the lieutenant, but I feel like the lieutenant's going to work with our army. So like, do we really want to exactly. get rid of her now? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and it's a testament to Sarah's incredible social game. One of the best modern players, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, I think I, honestly, this I, I think that her. End game, uh, her post-merge gameplay in Game Changers is one of the most impressive I've ever seen. And I think the fact that she has, much like Kim, has been able to do so well so far given... I mean, she was one of the people that had like the most preseason votes written down per Dalton Ross's uh, Instagram. Right? Yeah. And despite that, it was just because of her image, she was able to not only get over that, but endure herself to enough people that she has survived to be in a pretty powerful position going into the final seven, which is, I mean, we talked about her, her win equity compared to somebody like Tony, but for what she and Kim and others were able to overcome coming into the season, it's, it's miraculous to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, all along Cass was right. She tried to warn us. <laughs> if, if only you spoke llama, the, the cast could have warned you. Sarah's, well, a, Sarah's a villain. You got to get rid of her. Well, I uh, I don't disagree with anything you two have said, but I'm sticking with, uh, with my man, Tony. He, Fair uh, enough. He still won immunity, turned around the vote, got his way. Um, you know, Ben was adamant, and Ben ended up voting 
against Kim. Yep. So. Yep. Oh my no, God! It's Two a good more point. episodes, five more All right. hours. This is yep. it. This is the big time. Incredible. Mike. Let's let's wrap this up. Mike Bloom, thank Hello. you for going on this two-hour odyssey with us, plus the half-hour odyssey you and I had yesterday, <laughs> waiting for Ryan to show yeah, up. Secret podcast for uh, patrons of the SRG podcast. We'll get yeah, that absolutely. Forbidden so podcast that Scott and I recorded. Uh, but yeah, I mean these. We were on our. We were on our own edge of extinction. Exactly. And we were essentially carrying uh, back, you know, many, many coconuts over the course of that time while we were waiting for Riot. No, the pleasure was all mine, guys. You know, uh, Scott, we had you on last season for the B&B. That was a lot of fun. Ryan, I don't think we've spoken on mic since uh, the 2016 finale for Australian Survivor. So that is correct. Yes, I believe you're right. So I'm happy we get to reconnect, especially uh, since you are now YouTube famous from your Snake Jazz video and everything. So the pleasure (laughs) was is all mine this has been a really really fun season to talk about people might have their bones about it but i really do feel like especially in a couple weeks when this is all over and we're we don't know what survivor looks like in the future like this has just been a really special time to be a fan and to be part of the community and you know i'm happy to have you guys to come back as well to talk with all of us geeks about it too so i i had such a great time and i will also say to finish things off kim spradlin as as much as you know, she may have had a really rough road here between being on the outs and the beginning being more emotional, given her family back home, you know, misplaying an idol. I love this for the arc of Kim Spradlin because it shows her in a more humanistic way. I think a lot of people felt like her edit in one world was a little samey and boring because she was sort of like the game bot that just completely dominated but to see this new side of her as as much as it was not as dominating as we're used to and even though she was voted out. I really like seeing the side of Kim Spradlin, the human. So I will give, I will give kudos here. Exactly. Still a legend. Let's not discount her first win or anybody's first wins based on what Dude. happens in this season. So I cannot wait for the five hours. Yeah. For the five hours that are to come to listen to you guys uh, gab about it with a couple of other guests. And we'll see where the hell we go from here, both as a survivor community and I guess as a society on the whole. And how heartbreaking <laughs> to know that if she hadn't have wasted that idol, she could have used it this week and still been in the game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Though she um, she also so, she also also said like she was going to use her idol in that gamut pretty much no matter what. So it, it was a calculated yeah. risk that just didn't play off, much like this episode. Yeah, yeah. I think it, as a Kim fan, it's it's still heartbreaking to see her go. Yeah. So, Mike, yeah. where can we find you and listen to your musings about the world on social media and the many podcasts that you that you bequeath? Unto, unto the world. Yeah, for zero fire tokens, I bequeath these podcasts onto you. So I pimp everything out uh, on my Twitter and Instagram at a Mike Bloom type. As Scott said, if you go to parade.com slash tag slash survivor, that's going to be my main hub for all survivor content, which includes those aforementioned alumni interviews about the players currently in the game, which I've been having so much fun with. Again, uh, my interview with Jonas Atsuji, which will hopefully be coming up in the next couple days or so. Hopefully as well, once the season concludes, I'll be able to get some exit press in with the actual people in the game. I'm sure we all have a lot of questions to ask and who knows what else is to come uh, on that beat. I'm also covering some other stuff in there like Top Chef, The Amazing Race, Big Brother, etc. A lot of reality TV on the podcast front. Uh, so Scott mentioned this, the Survivor B&B with my great co-host, 
Liana Boris. Uh, basically, it's a Survivor Fun and Games podcast. We got into a lot of meaty discussion here. If you want none of that and you just want a bunch of like <laughs> playing a bunch of goofy games, that's what we do. We have so much fun getting to do that. So be sure to check that out. Actually, this week we are having a Lauren Beck, fourth place finisher from last season. Ooh, on. good yeah, nice. I'm very excited for Lauren. Lauren is just a ball of energy and smiles. And so I'm sure she's going to have a lot of fun there. I'm also covering Top Chef as well in podcast form. Over uh, in the scripted TV section, I've been covering Westworld with Jay and Jack, who are pretty prolific Lost podcasters. They were one of the first Lost Lost podcasts back in the day, a father-son team. And they're still going at it. They, I've been privileged to be asked to cover Westworld, which is a very similar Mystery Box episode or show. That's finishing off its season on Monday, so we are doing that. And also, Josh Wiggler and myself have been going, speaking of Lost, down the hatch doing an episodic Lost rewatch uh. podcast that we have launched uh, last August, and we are going strong. We are in the back half of season two, which has some very surprisingly strong episodes. If you're into gabbing, that is about like the length of this podcast. We go two to three hours every week on every episode of Lost. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and season two is the best, it's, it's too. One of, like, it's one of the most fulfilling and fun projects that i've ever worked on josh and i just have a great time getting to break down like the dramatic moments the comedic moments the moments that work the moments that don't work so be sure to check that out on post show recaps down the hatch and i mentioned the survivor historians before for people who don't know uh that is myself and three other guys including mario lanza of the funny 115 talking uh going back and doing retrospectives on old seasons of survivor uh we have gone through the first 20 seasons but in honor of the occasion we actually went back and did borneo because they never did a tried and true recap of it so we're reinvestigating borneo it has been incredible and fascinating to watch uh just because i think any sort of any sort of reputation of like well they're not playing the game it's boring I would encourage people to just watch Borneo because it is anything but. There's so much interesting stuff going on that I am as riveted as I was at 10 years old back in the summer of 2000. So be sure to check all that out. I'm sure there'll be much, much more to come. But again, at a Mike Bloom type for all the hours I happen to be spending talking into a microphone and people want to be bequeathed for some reason. And I I appreciate, again, you guys (laughs) having me on to bequeath more words about Survivor. Well, we appreciate you. Yeah. All right. I got to uh, I got to yeah. run. Uh, Ryan the music at Aaron. Scott Chernoff. Yes. yes. We'll be back next week. Uh, text us, tag us. Yes. Thank Rita you for listening. Rupi. And thank, thank you. you. Thanks again, Mike. Anytime. All right. Bye. The tribe has spoken. Now I'm going to put out your little lamp with my lamp stopper. <laughs>